And welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of The Kuehl Show. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kuehl. And yes, I know I'm alone this week, but that's okay. We'll have plenty to talk about here this week, including angel training camps getting started up. All that here on 12 Ounce Sports. Catch us on 12OunceSportsRadio.com, the YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter of 12 Ounce Sports. And we'll get to so much more today. But we got to get right to it. We got some business to talk to as we're bringing on our first of three guests here on the Keel Show on this Monday, July the 13th. Our first guest today is the longtime television play by play voice of the Philadelphia Flyers, working for NBC Sports Philadelphia, been with the team since 1993. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Jim Jackson. Jim, how are you doing today, sir? Doing great, Tyler. How are you? Oh, we are doing well. I mean, uh, some good science here. Players are on the ice. Everyone's, you know, seems like hockey is right around the corner. And that's got to be exciting, not just for, you know, hockey fans in general, but the Philadelphia Flyers as well. Yeah, the Flyers are having a great season. They're one of the hottest teams in the NHL when the pause came upon us. But, uh, you know, I don't know how much of that holds up going into this. It really feels like the start of a new season or even the start of a World Cup as opposed to uh, restarting the season that was. So it'll be interesting to see how they do. Um, but, yeah, there's excitement here. The team is young. They're they're uh, entertaining, and uh, they have a chance. And uh, They haven't won a cup around here since 1975, so there's some excitement. Yeah, it's, you know, it's funny because that's one of the big questions I have regarding this team because, you know, they made the playoffs a couple times the past few years, but it's been a long time. Since this team has really been a contender, I'd say even before the 0405 lockout, because I'm thinking, you know, back when, you know, Keith Primo was the captain for this Flyers team. What has made this season so different from years past? Well, it really, it's uh, if I had to point to one particular factor, it would be Elaine Vigneault. He's done a great job of putting this team together. He talked about having it find its rhythm sometime around the holidays just about the time they, they did that. And uh, he's he's been around. I mean, he's coached a lot of teams. He's coached a lot of good teams. He hasn't won a cup yet. He's certainly got that as motivation, but he's done just about everything else as a head coach. I think he'll win the Adams. He certainly uh, has a, a good chance to win the coach of the year. And he, he really deserves it because he's, he's uh, taken a lot of different pieces, veteran pieces, some young pieces, uh, some acquisitions, and uh, made it all work. I mean, it, it's great to see because especially since there's been guys that have been in and out of the lineup too. And I remember, of course, watching the Leafs the past few years, how good James Van Riemsdyk was, even back when he was a rookie with the Philadelphia Flyers. Now, seeing him out of the lineup a little bit, having a guy like him around, though, is just having him around the team, a veteran guy like that, amongst other players, of course. You know, you guys got like Matt Niskin, of course, Captain Claude Giroux. How is a veteran presence like that on this Flyers team helping the young guys like, you know, your connect knees and your couture is really develop into veteran star players here in this league. Well, there is a real good veteran core here. I mean, uh, starting with the guys have been here for a while. Claude Giroux, you mentioned him. Uh, and, and Sean Couturier is now a veteran and he's, uh, he's the hub of the team. So uh, you've got a good veteran base. They brought in Niskan and he's been tremendous in terms of the defense and helping Ivan Provorov, his defense partner, I go to a new level. And JVR is a guy who really accepted a role that was probably lesser than he anticipated when he, he came over here last season. At least this year, has been a lot of times he's been on the third line, uh, a couple times the fourth line, but never uh, really made any kind of 
problem with it. Uh, has continued to perform on the power play and has uh, managed to score enough goals to be in the mix. And he was injured. He's he's getting a, a kind of a break with his paws because he would have uh, missed a lot of time leading right into the playoffs. But now he'll be ready and raring to go if he's healthy, uh, if he stays healthy, as we all hope all players do uh, going into the bubble in Toronto. Yeah, it's going to be, it's great to see, obviously, the break because it helps everyone. So it's going to be, I don't want to say a best on base, but everyone's going to be healthy. But that said, it's pretty much a start over, like you said off the top here. It's going to have a lot of bit of a little bit of a rusty feel for a lot of these players. I mean, obviously, we have training camp starting today, but we've learned the month of October for hockey is just wild. Defensive systems go to the side, go to the wayside, offensive numbers go up. Where on this team, Will the Flyers' offense come from? You have connecting Couture, Voracek, Giroux leading the rush, but how many of the role players are going to have to step up offensively for the Flyers here coming up into the round robin? Yeah, in playoffs, usually there's an unexpected source for a team that goes on a run. So there's certainly a possibility that a guy will jump up like a Scott Lawton or, or someone of that ilk and, and become a, a major force in the playoffs. But really, this team isn't about one or two players. It's about balance. They get a lot of offense from their defense core with Provorov scoring and Niskanen can score and Phil Myers can score. Agostas Bersan, I mean, you go right down the, the list. Uh, they can all contribute from the back line. And and then they get offense from guys like Nico Bakubel. So uh, they expect it to be a balanced attack. So many years here in Philadelphia was about the top line, whether it be the Legion of Doom or Peter Forsberg's short time here. Or, or then it had been in recent years, Giroux's line had to be the line to carry the team. It's not like that anymore. It's 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 a balanced team. It makes them harder to check. And those are the kind of teams that I think uh, have a much better chance for success in the playoffs. So the Flyers are happy with the fact that it's not about one or two offensive guys. It's it's about balance. Yeah, and that's, obvious. that's really important, especially going, like you said, into these playoffs and with having depth guys. And one guy that you know kind of came in with a little bit of, I guess you can say, you know, expectations given a pretty solid contract was Kevin Hayes. He was he came over from the Winnipeg Jets and was signed by the Philadelphia Flyers. 41 points this year, sits fifth on the team in six nines game played. Not a bad number. How do you think he's looked in his first year in the Flyers uniform? No, he, he's serving a role, Tyler. I mean, they, they did not expect uh, him to necessarily lead the team in scoring. They just wanted him to, to be a big center iceman. I think the original plan was for it to be uh, Couturier, Hayes, Patrick, but uh, they're not going to have Nolan Patrick for this. And they haven't had him in over a calendar year now. Uh, so Hayes became that much more important as a big center iceman uh, with, with Nolan Patrick's uh, illness. So uh, you have uh, Patrick, you have Hayes coming in. He's done different things. He's been outstanding on the penalty kill. He's uh, been a physical presence in terms of his size up front, which they did need. And he's also been a great addition off the ice because he's one of the funniest guys in the NHL and he keeps this team loose. So uh, he's served a whole bunch of different roles, but it's been a real nice addition to the team here. Yeah, that's always good to see. But of course, a team can't win in the regular season and can't win, especially in the playoffs, without goaltending. And especially in today's NHL, the goaltending duo, or at least the setup of that, 
has become status quo in order to have a successful hockey team. You see it in Boston. You see it in Dallas. Philadelphia has one tandem right now that I don't think many expected given the way Brian Elliott's career kind of was going in Calgary. But now he comes over to Philadelphia and now is backing up Carter Hart. And those two have been phenomenal this season. Good enough to get the Flyers into the second spot in the Metro Division. How has that tandem worked so well this season in Philly? Well, the tandem has worked. I mean, it's, it's Carter Hart's team. Don't don't uh, get me wrong, but it has worked because Brian Elliott's accepted his role and has taken his role as a, a mentor, but more so just a guy who will fill in for Carter when he needs it. And, and uh, Carter's had some troubles on the road this year, which I guess it depends on how you look at this bubble situation. There really are no road games. There are no home games. So right. uh, Maybe that works better for him, but his numbers at home are off the charts good. Hasn't been as good on the road, and Brian Elliott was able to pick up some of the play on the road and, and was uh, very impressive for this club. Uh, a veteran guy who, who knows his role, wants to be part of a winner, uh, is Elliott, and, and it works perfectly for Carter, who's just a dedicated young kid who, who will, will do anything to support his team, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great mix. Uh, Brian Elliott has, I don't think a lot of people know this, but he has the second-best goals against average in the NHL over the last eight years. Uh, now, some of that was built because he was on some extremely talented defensive clubs in St. Louis. But uh, bottom line is, if you go over a long period of time, that long a period of time, in the top two or three of, of the NHL in a, in a style like that, it means you're doing something right. And uh, so Brian Elliott might be a tad underrated. He didn't have a great go in Calgary in a one-season thing. But uh, outside of that, uh, he's had a pretty solid career. And. I mean, I remember when he was, it's almost like comparing, I guess, that to Marty Berder, how Marty always had great defense in front of him. So that was always the criticism against him. He was never having to face 45 shots a night. But then again, that was Jacques Demers' 1-3-1 system. Mm, yeah, I would venture to say that uh, Marty Brodeur was the third defenseman. He might have helped Scott Stevens and Scott Niedermeyer as much as they helped him. That's true. Uh, that's true, yeah. People, you, you watch that team, how many times you dump the puck in and it's coming right back out at you. It was hard to beat the trap skating through it for sure, but it was hard to beat the trap dumping it in because of Martin Brodeur. So I wouldn't uh, say that Marty's career was built just because he's not a good team. Well, no, uh, not, I'm not, I'm not the saying best that. in the history of the NHL. Yeah, he, the best statistically the best goaltender, and I think I still believe he's the only goaltender with three goals. I mean, he only technically shot one, but hey, you, as goaltenders, you take them as you can get them. But going back to Carter Hart, and I've and I follow Carter Hart's career because I'm a big fan of watching Canadian junior hockey and watching him come out of the WHL with Everett and winning a gold with Team Canada. I'm like, all right, cool. He'll be Philly's goaltender in a couple of years. Everything seemed like they were going to kind of, you know, ease him in the pro game. And the first year at Lehigh Valley, the first half of the year, it's like, okay, well, he's still getting used to, you know, playing almost every night, playing American Hockey League. And next thing you know, all right, he's going to be our goaltender now. And they jump him up and you know, they obviously wasn't able to turn that into a success in terms of making a playoff run last season, but now he's almost cemented himself as a number one goaltender. How have you seen Hart's game evolve since day one coming in with the Flyers? I mean, he's young. He is definitely going through some growing pains, but uh, at home this year, he was as good as any NHL goaltender. On the road, he was not very good. So there have kind of been two Carter Hearts this year. And I guess some inconsistency can come from a young goaltender. But the one thing I, I know about Carter is he, he's just, uh, he looks about 15 facially. Um, he's still very young by goaltender standards, but his approach is very mature. And uh, he's, he's, he's very technical about his craft and 
I just think that this is uh, the kind of makeup that if he stays healthy, he's going to eventually just churn out victories and churn out huge seasons because uh, he's just uh, he's just got that that it factor when it comes to the preparation. It comes to uh, being part of the team. He doesn't throw his team under the bus uh, when they don't play well in front of him, and uh, he, he's just uh, he's just got it. So I, I think he's you know, still going through the, the growth process with less than. Well, really, now with this season, not even fully hasn't had a full season yet, but uh, close to a full season now. And, uh, you know, he got more than a half a season last year. So uh, he, he's getting there now to the point where he's, he's, he's getting everything under. He's experiencing just about everything he can at the NHL level. And I, I think the sky's the limit for this kid. And, and, and you just have to ask his teammates. They just rave about first thing I met this in his mouth today was, we have a chance because we have a goalie that can win the Stanley Cup. So uh, I think Carter Hart's uh, in a good spot. Uh, if, if, again, he stays healthy throughout his career, I think we'll be talking about him as a, a top goalie for a long time. Yeah, I saw that save he made. On, they posted the video on Twitter, the slow-mo save he made in, in camp today. It's a pretty good-looking save for sure, and I'm sure one that he's made many times before. And you did mention how the Flyers, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, I read they had one of or they, they had the best home record in the NHL this season. Going into Toronto, obviously, like we said, it's all neutral site games, but it's on a road city. Do you think that that'll sit in the back of the Flyers' minds? Because they're so, they are fantastic in Philadelphia. It's almost, I mean, watching games there, it's nowadays especially, it's almost seemed like it was impossible for any team to go in there and get a point. Now going in Toronto, going into a road building, do you think that's going to have an effect with the Flyers going into this round robin and into the first round of the playoffs? Or do you think that round robin will kind of help them get kind of accustomed to the area and maybe will actually help them when the playoffs start? Uh, it's really the question of the night, question of the month, question of the year. Uh, because none of us have been through this. <laughs> and, and, you know, usually I'll, I'll chalk a lot up to experience. But the other teams, even the older teams, haven't experienced playing in a bubble like this uh, for this long, if you're going to go on a run. So it's going to be new for everybody. I can't say that it'll hurt the Flyers to be so inexperienced from a playoff standpoint, because these are going to be different playoffs than we've ever been used to. And without fans, <laughs> I don't know, that electricity might not be there. So um, will they feel the tension? Will they feel the importance of all these games being in the same spot over and over and over again with no fans? This, this is all going to be interesting to see. Um, I just don't really know at this point. I can't give you an answer. I do think that generally what I would say to you is that they're a young team and they have a lot of players who will be experiencing the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time, that it would work against them not to have any home games. But every team is going through the same thing and none of them have gone through it before. So it's really a complete wild card. You almost think that maybe not having the environment of having fans almost may help them because then there's, I, I don't want to say there's no pressure because obviously, heck, you go on your phone and there's everything on social media, which is just a cesspool sometimes, but it can really make it almost easier for these young players to come in here with no pressure, no fans yelling at them, booing them, or whatever. It's just a clean slate, just game like you did on a Saturday morning in Pee Wee. That's almost what the situation may look like for some of them. Yeah, really. I mean, can't do it, but. A good thing for maybe a coach to do would be to say no social media while oh, we're damn. up here. Stay away from it because that'll keep the outside world completely out of it, and, and they'll have no idea. Uh, as you know, even in the best of times, there's naysayers out there. Right. <laughs> so uh, you, you know, if you avoid that one during the worst of times, because it can 
kind of like an avalanche. Uh, yeah, but I don't think you're going to see Lavigno uh, tell his players to stay off of their social media platforms. That that would be pretty hard to do. Um, so yeah, I mean, you, you do look at a situation like this where there's no fans, so you won't have that pressure of when you go on the road in the playoffs of facing the enemy. And there's pressure sometimes at home, too, and you feel that nervous tension in the air in a tight game. So there's none of that. Now, will you feel that still just because of what's going on, the importance of the game, your teammates? Maybe. But, again, we really just don't know. This is a new situation for everybody. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you have, and of course, the Flyers taking on in the round robin, three pretty good teams in their own right. They got Boston, Tampa, and Washington. Obviously, we don't know who they're going to play in the first round, but everything's up in the air. How do you think the Flyers will match up against those three teams, though, heading into this round robin? Well, it's good. You're playing good teams. You want to do that. Um, you pulled no punches. Uh, neither did Chuck Fletcher, the team's general manager, today when they were asked about it. They're treating those three games as tune up games. Now, Seating, again, no real home ice advantage, although you will get the last change. So there is an advantage still to being the home team, but not as much as normal. So the seating isn't vital to them. They're more concerned with getting everybody who might be part of this at some point because you're going to get injuries, you're going to get illness, hopefully not COVID illness, but you're going to get things that are going to cause players to miss games. So you're going to need depth, and you can't have those guys not playing any game going into the tournament and then being called upon after four and a half months of inactivity to kind of get in there and be at full speed. So I think they want to get uh, some different players, some, some action in those three games. So I don't think wins and losses will be as important. Sure. They want to play well. And usually when you play well, you win. Not always in hockey though. You can play well and lose in hockey, as you know, get into running into a hot goaltender or something. Uh, most important to, to them is to be playing well and get everybody in there, get a look at everybody. I assume that means we'll see some of Ryan Elliott, in those three games. So uh, I, I think that's really what their, their MO is going into those three. And we'll see if it continues to be that way. You know, they win the first two and have a chance for that top seed. Maybe they change their tune a little bit. But at this point, uh, I think they, they, you know, they end up the fourth seed, they end up the fourth seed. Uh, you know, you can avoid facing Pittsburgh if you right. stay out of that four seed, you know that. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure both fan bases would love if they just stayed away from each other. I'm sure they just wouldn't want to just go at each other. That's probably the one sad thing about that is that that were to happen if it was Philly and Pittsburgh, it yeah. wouldn't be in either building. That's the they'd sad. Be going part. at it on Twitter. That's about it. <laughs> oh, there'll be some Zoom calls but, uh, between yeah, friends. That could be entertaining too. You're right, but but yeah, no, I, it, it's a, a situation where they would play them as the four seed if Pittsburgh wins. Um, again, Gary Price gets hot. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, but uh, it, it, it's going to be really interesting to see how many upsets there are in those playing rounds and then how the seeding shake, shakes up. But there's no question about it that the target for the Flyers, they talked about it today, is August 11th, which is their first game in the round of 16. That's what they're targeting for. They're going to use the preseason game that they get up there, plus those three uh, round-robin games to get ready for the 11th moving forward as opposed to getting ready and getting everybody set to be at peak uh, performance for those uh, three round-robin games. It's the 11th that is their focus. That's, we'll see how focused they are. As you said, counting the 11th, Philly taking on three teams before then. Who will they face in round one? Round one, we will wait and see. We've been chatting with anybody. They could face anybody. <laughs> they could be anybody. Man, I tell you, if it's the Islanders. Okay, would you rather have it be an Atlantic team or a Metro team since they're probably a little more kind of, I guess, familiar with the Metro teams? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it. I don't really, you know. Again, it's it's pretty hard to tell. It's hard to even imagine tendencies. You probably have to see how the teams play as they play in those uh, the uh, the qualifiers because right now it's. I mean, can I? I don't think they want to play the Rangers. Rangers seem pretty hot, but you know, I don't know if they're still hot. Same as the Flyers. So, uh, it, it's uh, from a fan standpoint, interest standpoint, Pittsburgh Rangers. They would be great, you know, but but uh, might not happen that way. You just have to wait and see. That's the way the playoffs go. Once again, we've been chatting with Jim Jackson, longtime television play-by-play voice of the Philadelphia Flyers. Jim, thank you very much for taking the time. We hope you enjoy the playoffs just like we will. It's going to be a lot of fun, and can't wait to see how the Flyers look and who they're facing on the 11th. My pleasure. Take care. Be well. All right. That was Jim Jackson. As we once said, of NBC Sports Philadelphia, huge thank you to him coming on the show. You can follow Jim on all of your favorite social media channels at J. J or Jim J Philly Philly with P I H I L L Y can't spell today, but you know, that's just how she goes sometimes with everything. You know, you gotta, you get a little razzle dazzled sometimes, but how's everyone doing today? That was a great way to start the show. Don't you think? I know I'm by myself. It looks a little lonely. It's empty over here. I could have Kana, our lovely guest today. I guess you could say my puppy niece-in-law, I guess it's my sister-in-law's dog. We're watching her for the week. She's beneath here. So if you ever hear any woof and barking going around, that's probably her. She's calm right now. We went on a nice long walk before we started the show here tonight. So hopefully she's a little bit more relaxed, a little bit calmer, but it seems like living in an apartment complex, one just bump and it just chaos. Dog is running around and she'll probably grab her bone and want me to play with her. But I tell her I'm busy. Ain't that right, Kana? Yep, she's okay. She's laying down. She's being a good girl. So it's been a crazy couple days, eh? Monday, training camp starts up and all of a sudden we're back to hockey Twitter again. Hashtag hockey Twitter. It's got the little emoji at the end of it. Make sure you use that when you're talking about the Cule Show today. Hashtag TKS at the Cule Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Once again, we are live here on your favorite 12-ounce sports network, whether it be on YouTube, whether it be on Facebook, whether it be on Twitter, or even 12OunceSportsRadio.com. We're glad you can join us here. And if you're not able to watch all this show today, that's totally fine. We get it. We understand you're busy. Monday nights, you may have dinner. You may go out. You may be Hopefully, you're wearing your mask out there. Make sure you wear that to the restaurant, at least. You can take it off when you sit down, but wear it when you get out there. But maybe you're, you know, having a binge-watching session, whether it be Netflix, HBO Max, whatever, with a special someone by yourself. I'm not judging. Hey, I watch stuff by myself all the time. I'm pretty sure I've watched all the 30 for 30s on ESPN+. Plus. Best investment I made, also because it gets Disney Plus and Hulu and the wife and her best friend Ashley love the fact that they get to watch the making of Frozen. They love it. It's great. It's a whole season of stuff. I have to watch it with them. Marriage. It's a wonderful thing. But we're going to take a quick break here, folks. When we come back, we will talk more about the NHL's return to play. We'll talk about that along with who is not going to be there, who may be there. We will have to wait and see. We'll be back with more of the Kula Show when we come back right after this. And welcome back, everyone, to the Kula Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. I am your host today, the insider of the insiders, Tyler Kula. And that was a great interview. Thank you once again very much to Jim Jackson, the longtime play-by-play voice of 
the Philadelphia Flyers. Once again, we're here on 12 Ounce Sports, and got to give a shout-out here to our lovely sponsors. We didn't get a chance to start off the show. We'll give it to them now, though. Once again, our show is brought to you by 12 Ounce Sports, Second String Leather Company. Second String Leather. Check out their custom series. You can, If you're a former goaltender like myself, you can send them your gear. Send it to them. Pick out what kind of gear you want, what kind of stuff you want from them. That goes all the way from keychains and wallets to belts and even shower bags. Shower bags, duffel bags. Take your gear. Make it into something you can take with you forever. I have a couple sets of pads of my own that I could probably use. Some brave, some pretty you know, mucky, puck-marked-looking white pads that look like the epitome of a taller Archer's Herbe. If you know who Archer's Herbe is, I can tell you right now, you're older than I am. That's how old Archer's Herbe was. San Jose Sharks and Carolina Hurricanes legend Archer's Herbe. And, of course, mybookie.com. Bet on all sports, win, and get paid. Use the promo code 12OUNCHSPORTS today to join for free and bet on some of the best sports. Obviously, we got football coming up here, some baseball, hockey, obviously, coming up here sooner than later. There's been all the talk, of course, with everyone, all these hubs going around, everyone moving in, everyone going to Florida, which is just seeming like the worst decision that people have made. I get it. It is a good area because Walt Disney World, you can cut off the entire park to the public, but let's put everyone in there. And yet they're shocked when yesterday the Toronto FC-DC United MLS match was postponed. And I don't know why anyone's shocked about that because, yes, players probably have coronavirus because they're in Florida. Florida. 15,000 yesterday. 12,000 cases confirmed today. Hey, guys, maybe putting all the best athletes in the world on in Florida may not have been the best idea. I'm just saying that may be something that they should have thought about, but I digress. Obviously, we got a lot more to get to today with the return to play here in the NHL, and that all started with the NHL's new CBA being ratified, the CBA that will carry us to the end of the 2025-2026 regular season, which means, ladies and gentlemen, remember all those shows we had last season? How we were saying, oh my gosh, we're going to have another lockout. It's going to be over. We're never going to, we're just going to be talking about AHL hockey and junior hockey and college hockey. And while that's all fun and dandy, we want the NHL, but we're going to have a lockout. But then they refused. They didn't open it. Okay. So it's good for another season. And then they do this. Ladies and gentlemen, the NHL has saved itself. I don't know if it's the NHL, the NHL and the NHL player association come out and save each other. How about that? Save each other from impending doom. Okay, maybe not doom, but labor peace. Guys, this is something in my lifetime that I've only experienced once. Now, granted, yes, the CBA that was re- that was put in place at the after the 2012 lockout, that obviously gave us 10 years. But we knew there would be some issues because the Olympics were always uncertain, it seemed like. But now, six years with salary caps, and especially right now, the weird economic issues the NHL is facing. Labor peace with that. The league agrees. The players agree of a flat cap until the league is profitable again. A 10% rollback for next season on contracts, which include not just the big boys, not just your Austin Matthews contracts, your Connor McDavid contracts, your Leon Dreisettle contracts. We're talking about even some of the minimum wage contracts. They'll all take 10% rollback because they understand it's for the good of the league. 
I would say in years past, it'd be a little different because I always had the inclination and always had that slight feeling that the NHL players wanted to be paid more. They wanted to be paid more like the, more like the NBA players, more like the major league baseball players and even soccer slash football superstars, American football superstars. They always want to be paid more because if you look at the four major sports here in North America, they are paid the least in terms of the big names. I'm not sure what NBA bench players make. I'm not even going to ask. I'm not even going to try to figure that out myself. But they always want to get paid more. So the fact that they're willing to take a rollback to realize for the good of the league, for the good of the league, they want to help it. They want to be able to play because they know know they're also going to get it paid back to them. That's the big thing I think people are okay with. The players are okay with at least. They know that this 10% rollback that some players really had to suffer from the 0405 work stoppage, that they never got that paid back. This rollback will get paid at the end, the last three seasons of this current CBA. So 23, 24, 24, 25, and 25, 26 seasons, they'll get their last 10% that they get taken away from this year, they'll get it paid back to them. And of course, escrow will go down. Yes, escrow will be at 20% next year. Yes, it's going to be big because why? Well, the league needs money. And this is an escrow that may not go back to the players, understandably, because guess what? We may not have as many fans next season in the seats. Okay, we understand that. As a society, we're accepting that now. Players are accepting that and they realize, all right, next year, they're almost looking at the NHL saying, we'll give you next season. We will give you the money next year as long as it comes back to us, which it will because the escrow will continue continue to drop. We talked about it, obviously, in spades last week with Alex here. We were able to really dive into what it was going to consist of, the new CBA. So it's good to see that nearly 79% of the players voted in favor, a unanimous decision, not a 54 46%, not a 51, 49. I'm talking wide range, 79 to 21%. And I'm not going to harp on the 21%. You guys were wrong. How dare you try to vote against the league? I'm not going to do that to them. It's not fair to them. All right. Obviously it's good that the NHL is going to have something going for them. But now with that said, let's get to the present. Training camp start today. Back to news all over again. Man, I am so happy that I, whenever I hit my phone, there's 20 things from Chris Johnson, 15 things from Bob McKenzie, even though he's slightly on vacation. Pierre LeBron's always tweeting like crazy. Elliot Friedman isn't texting me, but he's still tweeting out there. He's a busy man. He can't talk to me all the time. I get it. Good buddy, Fried. I understand what you're doing. But here are some of the important dates coming up here. First one, July 24th, teams report to the hubs. August 1st, game time, at least for the play-in. Yeah, I guess there are round robins as well. But the play-in, obviously, is going to be the bigger focus. We'll get to more of that here in just a second. The league also hopes to finish the playoffs within 62 days. Now, for all that you're keeping track, that's two months. Listen, if there's anything we've realized with this coronavirus is that the months have been extended probably a thousand times more than every other year. The 30 to 31 days that we've had for months have seemed to have expanded to like 65 days with 30-hour days because they just drag on, take forever. And the league thinks they can get it done in two months. Now, I'm not saying they can't. If you really crunch down the schedule, it's possible. So, meaning the last day for the season is going to be planned for, I believe, October 6th. 
as I quickly scroll through, because I know it's supposed to be at the end of October. I'm really interested to see how long or if they're able to pull it off. Obviously, they are planning this all ahead of time to see if, obviously, these series go to seven games. Now, not every series is going to go seven, but there's going to be a couple. And some of these playing series may go five games. So, like I said, we'll get all of the schedule stuff later, but they hope the Stanley Cup is awarded by early October. Now, whether or not that happens, it may be late September, which would be great. You're right. For the sake of having the start of next season be earlier, let's just have everybody get swept Four games, three games in the play-in series. Let's just get this over with as quickly as possible. No, let's not do that. Let's have some good hockey here. I think the way the schedule's put together is going to make the next two months just fly by. We may honestly have to go to two shows a week, which means you're going to hear a lot more of my voice and see a lot more of this ugly mug, so I apologize in advance, but I want to give you all the best commentary and analyst analysis. I can't even say analysis. Maybe this is not the best analysis for your playoffs, but I'm just saying it may be Maybe a different analysis. Is that better? Is it? As I look in a room of emptiness all by myself? It is. I think so. I think it's good analysis. Anyways, thank you for SPHL Rando. Give me a shout out there for FL Horta, which, by the way, finally watched Ace Ventura Pet Detective in its entirety. Wow. Okay. Why is that tie in? Because Ace Ventura Pet Detective was about the Miami Dolphins. Okay. Sorry. My bad. Getting off topic here. By the way, I'll be actually on. The Rando Show, Talking Miners with the Rando, coming up after this, 8.30 start time on that show, Eastern Time. I'll be showing up a few minutes later, but make sure you tune into that as well. But we got a long way to go before we get to that, a little under two hours from now. Of course, we got a couple interviews coming up later on in this show. Joseph Zeta from Editor and Leaf will be on as well. We'll be talking about Toronto Maple Leafs with him. And then Matthew DeFranks of the Dallas Morning News talking about the stars and how they feel heading into the round robin. But let's get to the, the nitty-gritty, if you will, which is funny because we just talked to Jim Jackson of the Flyers, Gritty. Gritty, the mascot. Okay. It's awful with not Alex being here to put off these awful dad jokes on because I feel like he's just completely lost half the time. Then again, he probably just groans and, and whatnot. But obviously, we got to look at the coronavirus and how it's affecting so far in these playoffs. As of right now, or at least the NHL announced today, that there were 13 additional players who tested positive within the testing going into phase three today. Now, obviously, there were over 30 cases that were returning that were already positive tests, and one of which was unofficially, should not have been confirmed, but was, was Austin Matthews. And Austin Matthews said, of course, he had COVID because I don't know how you couldn't after it leaking out, and I don't know who reported it. I don't want to know because I would call them out here on this show. I've done it before. I'm not, I understand I'm not one that works in the health industry, but HIPAA is real. I have a wife who works in it. You don't mess with HIPAA. All right. I'm sorry. I'll get back to, I'll leave that one aside. But Austin Matthews said he's pretty much recovered fully. He didn't really have many symptoms. He was asymptomatic. He said he felt fine, but obviously you can still have a sickness without being sick, but he's one that'll be coming back soon. There's a lot of other players that obviously have not been announced, but there were some that were quote unquote unfit to play. There were nine penguins that were held off the ice. It wasn't reported who. I'm sure some. I'm sure there was a lot of, a lot of guys, a lot of beat writers, a lot of reporters out there jotting down who was in, and probably doing process of elimination to figure out who was. But regardless, nine penguins were held off of camp today for precautionary reasons because they probably could have. There's a possibility they could have contracted it from someone 
within the team, whether it be players, coaches, staff, whatever, that had the coronavirus, who they encountered, whether that be a trainer, someone who worked around the team in that time doing the training in the phase two, excuse me, that's why they held them off the ice. That's smart. Smart. Make sure that everyone's healthy. I mean, it's not like the playoffs start tomorrow. You have a couple of weeks. You have 11 days before you have to report to Toronto. Yeah, hold your players off for a minute. If they're good to go by Friday, get them back on the ice. I mean, these guys have been skating a little bit. Not full tilt. I get that, but they've been going around. They'll be fine. One of the other guys, a couple other players that were deemed unfit, Colin Wilson, Colorado Avalanche. He was unfit to skate. Timothy Lilligren of the Toronto Maple Leafs is another. And Corey Crawford of the Chicago Blackhawks, starting goaltender for the Hawks. He was also unfit to start camp today. And I'm not, now we're not just going to come out and say right now that the, that these guys are, oh my gosh, they have illness. They are sick. We can't, we, because that's not how it's going to work. The NHL is in charge of, dis, of disclosing injuries, injuries, sickness, whatever. Why players are not on the ice? The NHL is the only ones are the only ones that are going to do that. Coaches can't say anything. Management can't say anything. Fellow players can't say anything. We can speculate as much as we want. But as of right now, we can't say anything because technically we don't know. But they are unfit to go to the ice. Now, this could actually, they could actually be hurt. That is a great possibility. But that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean that Lilligren really has an ankle injury. They're just going to deem everyone unfit to play. And I remember a couple people out there saying already today, get ready to hear the phrase a lot, unfit to play. And I will tell you this, if all you people who hated the term upper body injury, lower body injury, let me tell you right now, you're going to have to get used to this one because this one's going to last a while. And I'm pretty sure players are okay with it. Management's probably laughing at it, but they're like, hey, we'll use this. Scouting team sitting there thinking to myself, like, I can't believe I have to wait to see if these actually hurt or not. That, that was me scribbling. I, 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 I was scribbling on an uh, individual in the in, invisible. Blah, blah. I only had one cup of coffee before this, guys. So I apologize now. But I'm interested to see what who else we deemed unfit. As of right now, as I scrolled through Twitter, as I checked Twitter, there's no one as of right now that has been announced since then. At least no many more, no bigger names than those guys. Obviously, Nolan Patrick not going to be able to skate because of his migraines that he suffered throughout the entire season for the Flyers, as we mentioned that with Jim Jackson just a minute ago. And, of course, my dad asking how many wings are unfit to play. Well, Dad, all of them. All of them. No, I don't, I don't say all of them. We had Ken Callon. There's a lot of great wings out there. A lot of great Buffalo wings, too. Hey, there's a, there's a joke for you because wings, I mean... Hey, at least there'll be more wings eaten during the playoffs and the wings will be losing in the playoffs. So that's all that's good, right? Hey, there we go. More Detroit jokes. We have them here on TKS here on the 12 ounce sports network. But obviously with that, there were some players that were allowed to opt out of the playoffs, out of the play in of the return to play. They had till five o'clock today. And as of right now, there's only a few big names out there. The first one was Travis Hamanick of the Calgary Flames. Big-time defenseman, top-four guy, can play third pair, but he's been a vital player for the Flames this season. Sven Berchi of the Vancouver Canucks has opted out. Mike Green of the Edmonton Oilers. Roman Polak of the Dallas Stars. And Carl Alsner of the Montreal Canadiens are the big ones. But let's be honest, guys. I'm pretty sure Montreal fans, when they heard Carl Alsner was not going to play, I'm pretty sure they celebrated because Alsner is a little old. He's really not... Carl Alsner of 10 years ago, 
even five years ago, I'm pretty sure they're okay with him not playing with the Habs in these playoffs. Obviously, you want as many you know depth pieces as possible in case something were to happen, but Carl Allisner is not quite a, a top defenseman like he used to be. But obviously, Hamannick's a big one. Mike Green, big pickup from by the Oilers from Detroit. He's a guy that I'm sure the Edmonton Oilers wanted in their lineup in these playoffs, especially a guy that's had experience in the postseason before. Now, granted, he was on those Washington teams that didn't really make it far into the playoffs. He only made it to the second round ever. And Roman Polak, I mean, that's just a, for a Dallas team that has some young and inexperienced defensemen in terms of playoff experience, like Miro Heiskanen, for example, even though he had a solid playoff last year, but not as much. Having a guy like Polak there may actually be beneficial for him, but he's opted to stay home. And here's my take on all this. When Hamannick first, Hamannick was the first one. And as soon as I saw Hamannick hit, I'm like, wow, this is for real. This is not just, you know, oh, I'm an AHL guy. I'll probably never play. I'd rather just stay home with my family. No, this is, these guys are key players here in the NHL. These guys will actually play vital roles heading into the playoffs. These guys are not just bums that we're going to be black aces, wear suits up in the press box, wear with a mask on or whatever. These guys were actually going to play. So that's why when I, there's not, now granted, there hasn't been an overwhelming amount of, I guess, I don't want to use the word angst, but I guess some displeasure towards it because, wow, you're bailing out your team come to the playoffs. But there's been some. There's been some people that come out and said, wow, you guys have a chance to go far in these playoffs and you're just going to walk away from this opportunity, walk away from your team. Listen, these guys are making a choice for themselves. And it is at this time, a choice that we should all respect. I myself, yes, I'd probably play because I, I love the game and I want a chance, but these guys have families to think about. There's more than just a, more than just them. Mike Green, he has big health concerns. Same thing with Roman Polak. Here's the thing, though. These guys all wish their teams the best of luck. It's not like they're just leaving them because they don't want to be there. They're leaving because, hey, there's a serious thing going on right now, and you're going, and especially guys like Carl Alsner, they're going to... Toronto. They would be going to Toronto, which yes, I know it's very secluded, but it's a big city. There's been a lot of people going around there, coming in and out of there, even though they've been shut down. It's still a very, like I don't want to say a hotbed for a coronavirus, but there's a lot of people going in and out of there. A lot of people traveling around now with the, everything starting to open up. So you don't know what's going on around there. All these guys in the West, they're going to Edmonton. Now, yes, Edmonton, a little bit smaller than Toronto, but it's still a big city. You can cut off everyone as much as you want. However, there's still a chance that someone may walk out, accidentally get it from somebody because it's in the air. It's a respiratory thing, guys. This is not just something that you have to go up to someone, give them a hug, give them a kiss to actually get this thing. You can be from here, from me to you, the camera at least, wherever you're watching here on 12 Out Sports, and you can still get it. The six-foot rule is more or less just a guideline. So... That's why I'm okay with these guys opting out. Have there been any Leafs? No. Have there been any, you know, bigger names with the Oilers? No. You're right. If Connor McDavid opted out, yes, there would be a, an absolute firestorm because he is the one of the best players in the game. If Sidney Crosby stayed home, absolutely. But here's the thing, though, guys. There's a chance that something may happen. We mentioned it with Jim Jackson off the top of the show that these guys may somehow contract this illness. And you're right, guys. Game five 
Pittsburgh, Montreal. Man, where's Malkin? It's possible, guys. And these guys that I listed off, there's more also. There's other guys that I remember, I think it was Mike Kitchens of the Florida Panther assistant coach. He's an older gentleman, has an, a little bit of higher risk for the illness. He's opting out as behind the bench next to Joel Quinville. But these guys all made a choice for their personal safety and their family safety over their professional success, which I commend. And I think we all should as well. I know there's probably some people out there that are thinking, of course, Tyler, we're okay with this. What's the problem? I'm just saying there's people out there that have been harping on these guys, and I don't like it. Not a big fan of it at all. One guy that has been in question of possibly not, or choosing not to be in the playoffs, whether or not he is or not, is Max Domi of the Montreal Canadiens. And this is, and there's a few other players that are type 1 diabetic, which Max Domi is. And it's, it's interesting because he would probably, out of the guys I listed off, he would be the, probably the best player that would opt out. Because being a diabetic, you are at risk for illnesses more so than someone without it, obviously. So that's why he's waiting 7 to 10 days. Now, I'm not sure what the league's view is on this, but it would be before they left for Toronto when he would decide if whether or not he wanted to come back or not. And this is something, he's a young kid. I know he doesn't, I mean, he's got a lot to think about. And yes, do the Montreal Canadiens have the biggest shot going into Pittsburgh, going against Pittsburgh? Eh, maybe, maybe not. But it's still an opportunity for him to get playoff experience, something he has not had yet since coming into the NHL, whether it be in Arizona or here with Montreal. I don't think that you can just come out and say, hey, Max, come on, dude. You're the leader of this team. Stay. Listen, this guy, has, this is an illness that if someone like him gets it, it could be, it could be fatal. Let's not hide that fact, guys. Max only has a lot to think about here. Yes, he could go play. You're right. And he could, and he may go play and not contract anything and be healthy as a, healthy as a horse. But there is just as good of a chance that he may go in there and contract this thing. And next thing you know, he may be on life support. Yes, is it, is it a scary thought? Is Tyler going too far? I, maybe, but let's be honest. This is the reality of the world we're living in, guys. I remember when the coronavirus first hit before the whole shutdown happened, I remember I said to myself, all right, we're trying to keep it down as much as we can about the coronavirus. We'll just see how it goes. We'll let the health experts take care of it. Now we're at that point where people are getting, I don't say getting put in bad positions, but these guys are honestly putting their lives at, not their lives at risk, but they're putting their, putting their livelihoods at risk. They're putting their bodies at risk by going and playing. And even if you sanitize the living daylights out of all the hotels in Edmonton and Toronto, everything at Scotiabank Arena and over there at Rogers Arena, Rogers Place, excuse me. This is something that I, we've never experienced before. And I think the players are a little scared. I know we always talk about how NHL is a robot and they're just, well, you know, we got to do this for the team. It's got to be hard. Listen, these guys have personalities. These guys don't just, you know, they put on a face for the media. I've been in the locker room. I've been around guys that have played in the NHL. I've been around guys that have played minor leagues collegiately. And yes, you put them in front of a camera, throw a mic in front of their face. They're very straightforward, very monotone. You go out after practice and hang out with them in the locker room. They're great guys. They're fun guys. But these guys, yeah, they have feelings. They are considering 
the possible consequences, the negative consequences at least, of being in an area that may not be safe outside of their friendly confines of their own homes. So with that, I think we should respect that fact. Now, moving on here from, I guess, some sad news here. Let's talk about the good news. The actual play-in series, the playoffs. The one thing we've been waiting for for a long, long time. One schedule that we didn't think we'd ever see because, well, we were not quite certain if we were actually going to get to this point. Now, yes, everything's been fluid. Something could change easily in the next two weeks. Let's be honest. As much as I want to knock on wood and say we're going to have a playoff series, this coronavirus is like karma. And you know if you know what karma is, it is not a word I feel like saying right now here on live streaming. I was about to say live television, but I mean, if you are watching us on the replay on Zingo, you could be watching it on a TV. So television, streaming, wherever you're watching us, I'm not going to say that word live. But we're getting there. August 1st, big time playoff series coming up here. Best of fives. Let's kind of take a look and I guess the schedule, if you will. Here's the kicker about everything. This is why I say we have to almost go two shows a week here on the Kula Show on 12-ounce sports. There are six games per day. And by six games per day, I'm not just talking about playing games. This also includes round-robin games. So everything kind of starts off pretty easily. The first day, only five games. You have the Rangers and Carolina starting off, Florida and Islanders starting off, Montreal, Pittsburgh, August 1st in the East. In the West, just Chicago and Edmonton, Calgary, Winnipeg. Great series there. August the 2nd. Boston and Philly kick off the Eastern Conference round-robin, while Colorado and St. Louis start off the Western Conference round-robin. Toronto and Columbus, the only Eastern qualifying round playoff game that day. And then Arizona and Nashville, Minnesota and Vancouver, the other two games out in the West. After that, it's six games per day. Six. If you can count to six, you know how tough it's going to be for us to keep track doing one show a week. Here's the kicker. I may not be able to have a job because look at this, guys. Ready for this? The schedule is as follows. Eastern time, there will be games at noon, 2.30. No, noon, 4.30, and 8.30 in Eastern Standard Time. No, local time, mountain time. I get my notes mixed up here, guys. 12 o'clock, 4.30, 8.30 local time in Edmonton, which is... 2 p.m., 4.30 p.m., and 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Eastern Conference games will be at 12 p.m., 4 p.m., 8 p.m. Eastern Time, which means that there will be games two hours apart every day. If you are a college football fan in North America, United States, I guess, in particular, NCAA football fan with ESPN, CBS, even NBC with Notre Dame going on, you know what it's like having games on just like over and over again. Here's the difference between college football or NFL, I guess, if you really wanted to talk about that. And the NHL is that college football is on Saturdays. This is every day for 10 days. Six games a day. I don't think my tablet, my laptop, my phone, my TV, I don't think it can all handle it for 10 days. Like I said, guys, this two-month period these playoffs are supposed to be into, they may actually be faster than the last seven months of this year. Well, at the, it'll be eight months come August 1st, but eight months. I'm just saying, guys, it'll be, it'll go by so fast, we won't be able to keep up, 
but it's going to be awesome because first of all, we have hockey. That's number one. Number two, we get to watch hockey, not just the highlights guys. We have hockey because it's going to be on in the United States. NBC is going to have full coverage because you want to know why you have the same. It'll be, I know I'm jumping around here. It'll be like the world junior broadcast on TSN in Canada where you have Gordon Miller and Ray Ferraro in the big rink, wherever that may be. And then you have another team at the, the second venue of the world junior tournament. And they're just going back like three games a day. Now they may have different broadcasters filling. Cause I don't listen. These guys are doing six games a day for two months. Obviously it'll dwindle down once you get to the conference finals and finals, but you know what I mean? Lots of hockey, short time frame. Doc Emmerich's not a young guy. There's not enough honey in his tea that can keep him going for that long. There'll be other broadcasters coming in, but they're going to be on NBC, NBC Sports, CNBC probably in the United States, North America. Every single sports net will be wiped clean. You almost would, at this point, you would hope that TSN would have, <laughs> have something there so they could put it on their channels as well. But I know CBC, Sportsnet, Sportsnet 1 will probably have some games. Sportsnet 360 will probably cover some games. You'll probably have some provincial ones. You'll probably have Sportsnet East host one game in Toronto and Sportsnet Pacific host the other out in Edmonton. It's going to be wild, guys. There's going to be so much hockey in the next two months that I don't know what I'd be able... I, I just feel like poor Kelly, poor my, my poor wife. Thank goodness she's not here right now. She's probably yelling at the other room. She's at work right now. God bless her. Going another another night at another third night at the hospital. But we are looking at something of having so much hockey in the next little while that you're, you're going to be exhausted. Now, yes, everyone's like, oh, but there's sometimes nine games during the season, nine game nights. Yeah, but there's the occasional two game night. Now, granted, yes, the six games a day will only last to the play in series, more or less. And obviously, not every series is going to go five games because it's the next 10 days they expect to get this play in round done. Not every series is going to go five games. So we may, it may dwindle down here in about a week after the playoffs start, of course. But that said, it's going to be a lot of hockey. Imagine if every series went five games. Like, everyone's just going to be dead, except for the round-robin teams. They're just going to be like, oh, you know, we're just fresh and ready to go, and it's going to be the top four in each conference getting into the second round, and it'll be just like the NBA. Except, you know, not the NBA, except it's hockey. But I mean, like, how only the, the top teams move on in the first round. It's rare you see an upset in the NBA these days. Honestly, it's like a 4-5 upset, but I digress. There is... A lot of hockey coming up. I'm excited for it. I hope you guys are all too. And when when that all starts, I will be I'll be swamped. <laughs> I'll get so much stuff other to do, not just here on the Kula show, but obviously covering for other sites. I may honestly help out the guys out with the hockey writers. I feel like I have to do something with some team. I know I was writing for Montreal when I first started there. You know, if Montreal makes it a series, they may need some help in hands there, but Oh, it's going to be great. I'm really excited. And one of the teams, of course, that will be in the playoffs is the host in the Eastern Conference hub, the Toronto Maple Leafs. I almost said Blue Jays for some reason because baseball is going on right now. Their spring training is going on, and my Twitter feed's filled with Blue Jays stuff, which which is good. They always, you know, it's good to see, you know, baseball coming around too. And, of course, the Blue Jays have a great setup. They have a hotel in their stadium. They have the Renaissance Marriott 
right there at the Sky Dome. You can watch a game from the outfield. I haven't done it yet because the hotel price is very expensive and also because, well, there's no fans allowed this season. But, I, you know, it's a goal of mine. But the Toronto Maple Leafs, they're hosting. And I was able to get a word in last week with Joseph Zeta of Editor and Leaf talking about the Leafs season so far and how they're going to feel. So let's go to that interview right now here on TKS. Tyler, take it away. Pew! Thank you very much, Tyler, from next week. Hello, I'm Tyler Kuehl here just in the past, getting ready to talk some Toronto Maple Leafs, and I am joined now by my guest today. He is one of the rights for Editor and Leaf on Fan Sided Network for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Joseph Zeta. Joseph, how are you doing today, sir? Fantastic, Tyler. Thank you for having me on the show. Joseph, for all you know, is probably twice as excited that sports is coming back and probably getting ready to do double the workload because along with his work with Editor and Leaf, he also writes for the Raptors Rapture for Fanside, which covers the Toronto Raptors, the defending NBA champions, the best team. And, and Joseph, I mean, we'll get into the Leafs here in just a second, but let's get your take here. Are the Raptors a possible team that has a chance to repeat as champions? I honestly think they can. It's, it's up to them or either of the Los Angeles teams. You know, the Lakers and the Clippers are two great teams, but being a Raptors fan and seeing what they did this season, you know, overcoming numerous injuries, like, they, they have to go back-to-back. They're, they're coached by one of the best coaches in the league, and, you know, they're, they're a solid team up and down. Yeah, they're, it, the wife and I we were at the parade last year, and it was such a great event, even though it was complete and utter chaos, but... That's what made it all the fun. And, of course, this team has been able to play so well without Kawhi Leonard, only showing that the team was good despite, I mean, even though he was the MVP, he was Kawhi Leonard. But let's get to this year's Leafs team. And as much as I'm sure all everyone wants to talk about the Raptors winning, the Leafs have a chance, given that they're in the play-in round, in the playoffs, to make some hay and maybe have a chance to win that big silver mug at the end of the year, something they haven't held in over 50 years. My grandfather was in his teenage years when the Leafs won a cup. Let's just tell you how old he is. But this has been a tumultuous season. I put that in the the, the outline because it's such a great word because there has been incredible highs and catastrophically low points to this Leafs season. In your eyes, what has made this season different from the past few seasons where it looked like the Leafs in the past few years were a contender, whereas this year now they're just almost a bubble team? You know, this this year stuck out more than any other year simply because uh, of numerous things. So we finally got a healthy full year of Austin Matthews besides his rookie year. But with that being said, the price of a fully healthy Austin Matthews came with the whole, you know, the rest of the team being injured. And it, it felt like the team never could get a fully healthy lineup going uh, throughout the season. Obviously, we know what happened with Mike Babcock, um, the highs and lows of the season, starting off 2-0. and You know, the team looking good. In my eyes, I was like, oh, this team's looking good. You know, they beat uh, Ottawa in the home opener. They went to Columbus. They beat them 4-1. And then they, they ran into Montreal when, uh, when Kapanen threw a stick at Petrie. They lost to St. Louis. They lost to Tampa. And then, long story short, I think there were nine, ten, and three. And then they pulled the plug on Babcock. They brought in Keith, and you know that just you know resembles how up and down the season was. But I feel like the Leaf seasons are always up and down. You know, they're never consistent, and that just makes them fun. I I, I remember the sixteen seventeen season so well because I mean I'm a Leafs fan, and that was you know for, for the first time in a while it's like hey this team is good and they're in the playoffs. So it 
even though that out of the last four seasons, that is in fact the worst team by record. It seemed like that was a much better season just because now that there's expectations, it's almost like the team is doing worse. And granted that just kind of comes Joseph. I mean, you living in, you know, the greater Toronto area knows how, how just fierce and how relentless the Toronto media is when they put expectations on a team like the Leafs. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it can be very toxic at, at times. Uh, I know a lot of people, Leaf fans or not Leaf fans, they always say the the Toronto media is the most toxic in the league. And um, you know, on one side I can agree, but at the same time they're just doing their job. But uh, yeah, like you said, the sixteen seventeen season was your favorite, and it was probably my favorite too. There was no expectations going into the season. Uh, a good majority of the team were all rookies, so you know it was kind of like you know prove what you can do, and they proved that you know they could play at the NHL level. Uh, Matthew hitting forty goals, Zach Hyman uh, being in his mid twenties making his debut, uh, Willie Nylander, Mitch Marner, and other than the seventeen eighteen season, because I think that is also one of my favorite seasons when they uh, they broke the record for the most wins and most points in franchise history. Uh, those two seasons are up as my favorite ones. But yeah, the 16-17 season was, was a great season to watch. Of course, Frederick Anderson that season did set the record for most wins by a Toronto Maple Leaf goaltender, winning a grand total, if I can find my numbers here, winning 38 games, passing Andrew Raycroft in the 05-06 season, which is still that, just a That's mind. very strange. That that team too. That team that Raycroft. Well, okay, you have to look. Who was his backup? John. Who was it? Ob- John Sebastian Oban. Like, wasn't that his backup? I mean, no wonder the guy had to play seventy-five games. Yeah, it is true. He did play a handful of games. But now this team here, and I listen. I because I grew up here in Michigan, so I got to see Babcock with Detroit. I remember when he was back with Anaheim, and when he first came to the Leafs, I'm thinking, perfect. This is the guy this organization needs. And it ended up leading to that point where the team actually got better and better. But it just seemed like Babs always did something funny in the playoffs. And I remember last year at the end of the 2019 series against Boston, I literally stood up and said, I'm like, all right, just fire him now because he's getting outcoached by Bruce Cassidy, who I have known since he was a coach in Grand Rapids in the IHL way back in the early 2000s. So I know how good of a coach Cassidy is, but I know how much better a coach Babcock should have been. Do you think it was a good decision by the Leafs to try to stick with Babs and give him one more shot, but then obviously he gets fired? I mean, do you think they should have fired him earlier? Should they have fired him when they did? You know, what is your take on Babs no longer being with the Leafs? Um, I'm in the, the boat where they should have fired him in the offseason, you know, before the 1920 season started. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure, sure there were um, rumors that they were thinking about doing it, but they decided not to, and they just decided to ride him out in the 1920 season. Um, but I'm kind of with you. Like I enjoyed Mike Babcock being a coach for the Leafs uh, when he came here before the team even drafted Austin Matthews. Uh, you know, he helped the, the young stars be who they are today. But it just got to a point where Mike Babcock was coaching a defensive-style game and a good majority of the Leafs team were all offensive-minded, and it just wasn't clicking. But obviously, bringing in Sheldon Keith, you know, um, they're both offensive-minded people, and it just worked out for them in the best. But, yeah, I think um, if I was in charge, I would have fired uh, uh, Mike Babcock in the offseason because you look what he did to, to start the season this year, and it, it wasn't good, and it kind of cost the Leafs around 20, 25 games, and now... You know, they finished third in the Atlantic Division, and now they're in a play-in series. And 
who knows? Maybe if Keith started the season, the Leafs would have been first in the division, second in the division. Maybe they wouldn't even be playing in a playing series. They'd be playing, you know, uh, for the round robin with the other good teams in the in the conference. That would be, uh, you know, if as my good friend Steve Dangle would say, if ifs and buts were candy and nuts, we'd all have a Merry Christmas. But it's it's so funny to look at that because Keith has done such a great job. And yes, there have been times in his tenure where I guess the honeymoon phase ended and the Leafs kind of got out of sorts for a minute there. And of course there was the David Ayers game, which we're just going to ignore that ever happened, but they were able to kind of bounce back. They had a great game against Tampa right before the pause. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, man, if they can just do that consistently, and if Keith can stay with them, this team could, you know, actually improve, even though they're already a talented team. What do you think Keith has done with this Leafs team that has made them a, I don't want to say more disciplined team, but a better team, question mark, on, in the exception of working under Mike Babcock? How has Keith done this year with the Leafs? He lets their big boys play. And what I mean by that is their, ta- their most talented players in Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and William Nylander. Um, what I liked most about what Keith did was if the Leafs were on the penalty kill, and they successfully killed the penalty, he would load up a line with Matthews, Marner, Tavares, or Matthews, Marner, Nyland, or whatever, and just tire out the other team. And the majority of when he did that, the Leafs either scored or they had numerous scoring chances. And under Babcock, he never did that. And going back into the playoffs, uh, like you said, I was getting outcoached by Bruce Cassidy. The one thing that really upset me was he played Patrick Marlowe, uh, I think late in the third period over Austin Matthews. And, you know, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to know that, you know, you should be playing Austin Matthews, not Patrick Marlowe. But, yeah, you know, Sheldon Keefe knows what he has and knows uh, who is good on his team and who can contribute. And putting those, you know, offensive star players more minutes on the ice, like I'm pretty sure Austin Matthews is averaging, when Keith, uh, when Keith got in charge, he was averaging more minutes than he did when Babcock was in charge. So, the one thing I like of what Keith does is he plays his horses and, you know, he's proud of that and he wants them to succeed. Yeah, he it's it's he's averaging almost 21 minutes a night. Austin Matthews is. And I remember when everyone was like, oh, you got to play Austin Matthews more. And I think he played like, what, 23 minutes in one preseason game under Babcock for Babs. Like, see, I'm doing it, but it's like do it when it matters. That's the big question. But now mm-hmm. we won't have to worry about that with Keith at the helm of the Leafs team and. You know, another guy that you talked about, Mitch Marner, this guy had more expectation than I think any leaf this year. Austin Matthews, granted, yes, he is the superstar, the sniper, the goal scorer could have hit 50 goals had we played a whole 50 or whole 82 game schedule was, by the way, the only player that had played the most games as a leaf playing 70 games this season. Marner, though, just because of the holdout because of the contract, because of Marner watch. Literally, it's all we talked about on this show during the summertime. It drove both my brother and I mad. How do you think he has done with the expectations of now being a bona fide superstar given his contract he had in the summer? Um, I'm kind of on the fence. You know, you look at his contract and what he signed for, I believe it was around $10.8 million, maybe a bit more than that for, um, for six years, I believe. And that's a lot of money, in my opinion, for a winger. And, you know, I love Mitch Marner. I love, you know, his style of play. But in my opinion, that's a bit of an overpayment for uh, for Mitch Marner. But for what he's done this year, obviously we know he was sidelined with an injury when uh, he hurt his leg or his ankle back against the Philadelphia Flyers. So he was sidelined for 11 games. But looking at his, you know, his stat line, he's had 67 points in 59 games this year. So he's still over a point-per-game player. 
but I don't know if that's a $10.8 million player. But uh, there's always the playoffs for him to, you know, bounce back. And there's always next season for him to bounce back as well. But like I said, $10.8 million for a winger, that's kind of expensive. But you look at Artemi Panarin, he signed around Austin Matthews money. I think he signed north of 11.6 and he was having a heart trophy kind of year, putting up 90 plus points. So I guess maybe if Mara never got injured, he would have been on the same pace, maybe a bit more um, than last year's total of 94, I believe. But, uh, but yeah, like I think Mitch Marner did play some great hockey this year. There were times where he was MIA and that, uh, that might've caused Keith to put Marner with, uh, Matthews and try Nylander with Tavares. But that's the thing with this group of guys, their top six is interchangeable. You can play Marner with, uh, Tavares. You could play Marner with Matthews and, you know, the, the, um, the lines combinations are endless with this team. And I love watching Mitch Marner play. He he can be so magical. And I will say this, the first three weeks of the season, it looked like he was trying so hard to meet those expectations. And, you know, something I remember almost from his rookie season, he would try to do so many crazy things just to show that, hey, I can be in the NHL. Now he's trying to be, hey, I can be worth, I think it was 10.893. I look on here at capfriendly.com. This is exact AAV, of course, the 9.3, because, hey, let's have my old number from junior in there for, for fun and stuff like that. Cause that's apparently the it thing to do nowadays in today's NHL, but he has been an up and down guy. And you know, with that, speaking of ups and downs, guys that come in and out of the lineup and there's no, especially in today's salary cap era. And now with all the reports of, you know, the CBA moving forward, that's going to be a non-changing salary cap. Depth players are more important than ever before. Guys that are cheap under a million dollars or around a million dollars that can play bottom six minutes, but an even sick or third pairing defense that guys that can stand up and play valuable minutes, even though it may not be in the hugest sample size, the Leafs have a good number of talent that are in that bottom six and that third pair extra defensemen guys coming up and down from the Marlies. I was fortunate enough to see them a couple times myself when they came here to Grand Rapids, who this season has come up from the Marlies into the Leafs lineup and made such an impact that you know that they're going to be with this team for the foreseeable future. I think it has to be Pierre Engvall. Um, just not looking at his second half of the season, because obviously he was MIA. You know, if you watch the Leafs, uh, Pierre Engvall was, you know, lights out uh, in the first half of the season. The second half, he only had one goal in, I think, 20 or 25 games, and that goal came against David Ayers. So nothing to be proud of there. But, um, yeah, Pierre Engvall, he came up, uh, I believe, the night against uh, Vegas. So the night before Babcock got fired, um, the game against Vegas, he came up. And um, ever since that, he's been a solid depth piece for this Maple Leafs team. He definitely could play up and down the lineup depending who's on his line. But, you know, he's found his role on the third line. I really like him alongside Kerfoot and Kapanen or when McKayev comes back. Uh, I like the line with Engvall, McKayev, and Kerfoot. But yeah, Engvall was the type of guy that I loved watching. He had 15 points in 48 games. Like I said, you look past his second half of the season and if he kept the same pace from the first half he definitely would have surpassed 30 points and 30 points in a rookie year for a depth piece on a Leafs team you really can't complain about that no not at all and it I have two little funny little stories about Pierre Engvall one was regarding his date or not his debut but the game against Arizona the night Sheldon Keefe's first game as an NHL head coach Pierre Engvall scores I think it was a shorthanded goal too and you go to the bench there's Sheldon Keefe like with a slight smirk of like a proud father and it was it was for me kind of 
almost full circle because I believe it was the month before is when the Marlies came to Playground Rapids. And I actually interviewed Todd Crocker, the play-by-play voice of the Toronto Marlies. And I said, you know, who's the guy? I mean, we talked a little bit about how good Sheldon Keefe has done in developing players and how they can transfer to the NHL. So it was kind of funny how he became their coach with the NHL club. But I said, who is the guy that you think could make that jump to the NHL, that first guy? And Todd Crocker, without missing a beat, said Pierre Engvall. And I got to watch him, and you could see how good he is offensively and him be able to translate that, his offensive skill, into being a 200-foot player in the NHL without really missing a beat just goes to show how good this Leafs development system is from the Marley, even from you know their drafting in junior to the going through the Marleys all up to the club. I don't want to say the Leafs are the standard, but they do a really good job of taking players, developing them in, in the AHL, and then transferring that talent up into the NHL level. Yeah, um, like you said, that a good majority of this Leafs team from this year played uh, in the Marlies at some point in their career. I'm pretty sure it was around almost 15 players, maybe a bit less, uh, all played on the Marlies at one point or another. And a good majority of them were on the Calder Cup championship team as well. Yeah, I believe Martin Marinson was there. Trevor Moore, who's just been a wonderful player to watch. But now this, now this team... Marley's Leafs combined have to go into the playoffs against Columbus. God bless it. Even if, I mean, if, if you had done the seeding and there was actual home ice advantage, it wouldn't be in Columbus. So we have to worry about the cannon. Thank you very much to the, to the hub city, but the Leafs will play Columbus. And now that we've learned in the past week or so that it will be Toronto in the Eastern conference, the Eastern conference hub will the city of Toronto hold. Is it a home ice advantage for the Leafs in this series? I know there's no fans, but the familiar familiarity, excuse me, of playing inside Scotiabank. Does that have the Leafs have a little bit of an edge on the blue jackets or with no fans, neutral site, everything else considered, will it be an even series? What's your take on that, Joseph? I feel like obviously the fans do play a factor in it, but since the fans cannot attend the games, the next thing that comes up in advantage wise, in my opinion, is the ice surface. You know, every ice in NHL is different. Um, in their own way. And I feel like if it has to come down to that, then the Leafs are familiar with their own ice rather than playing in a different arena. But, um, you know, they're in Toronto. They're used to playing in Toronto and they're used to their, their ice surface. I think that could play an advantage for Toronto. But if not, then, you know, we're going to have to see. But I think the series will go down the wire. It, it definitely will go to five games, in my opinion. Um, people can't underestimate Bobrovsky, Duchesne, Panarin, Dezingle, but I'm pretty sure they finished with a 33-22-5 record or a bit more overtime losses. Um, you know, they're coached by a great coach in John Tortorella. They were dismantled with injuries this year, but they still found a way to win. Uh, the rookie goaltender, uh, Elvis Merz-Lincolns, he came in and he shut the lights for every other team that they played against. Um I hope the Leafs have advantage uh, with the ice surface or just playing in Toronto, but um, you can't underestimate Columbus. They're a great team. I know they swept Tampa last year, so you got to think about that too. But obviously, Borowski um, played a huge factor in that series, but they're no longer no longer on this Columbus team, but they do have a, uh, a rising rookie goalie in Merz Lincolns too. And of course, Jonas Corposalo, I don't know if he'll be the starter. It'll be interesting to see, but of course, Corpusala was elected to the All-Star game before he got injured, and one of the games the Leafs missed out on was that third game against Columbus. They went 1-1 one and one against the Blue Jackets as the Blue Jackets got an overtime win against the Leafs, and 
There's so much talent. I mean, it's I as someone who really like loves the way Tortorella coaches, John Tortorella's coaching, the way that team is built is not built for star power anymore. And that's why I think Tortorella just thrives off that because you look at the teams he was successful with in Tampa. Yeah, he had Marty St. Louis, Vinny LeCavier, Nikolai Habboom was his goaltender. And with the Rangers, he had even a Chris Jury there for a minute. He had guys that were able to use star power players. And this Blue Jackets team now, it's almost like Tortorella gets a tinker with it because there's not, I mean, you have Cam Atkinson who can score, but no bona fide stars. And that does that make it almost harder for a team like the Leafs say, all right, who do we watch out for? Like, there's no, like, I don't want to say X factor because that's not the case because Columbus has so much talent. But is there, is it difficult for a, for the Leafs to go, all right, who are we going to try to, you know, watch tonight? Or should we just kind of just play the game and see how it goes? Because in a five-game series, you lose one or two games, and next thing you know, you're scratching your head thinking, my gosh, we're playing golf next week. I mean, are we going to get Alexi Lafreniere? That's how this series could go. I think they have to just keep an eye on everyone. Uh, you can't underestimate any team in the league. Any team can beat any other team on any given night. But, uh, yeah, like you said, I don't see Columbus having a bona fide superstar on their team. They do have some great players, though. Like you said, Atkinson. They have Pierre-Luc Dubois. They're getting Seth Jones back, Zach Rowenski. The goaltending has been good this year. So, unlike Toronto, how Toronto has bona fide superstars on their team, Columbus does have, you know, some top-end talent. I'm not saying it's, you know, the same caliber as Toronto, but Columbus does have some talent on their team. Uh, but, yeah, they're going to have to keep an eye on everyone. They can't leave... You know, for example, Pierre-Luc Dubois, you can't just underestimate him and not expect him to score. Same thing with Zach Wierenski. I'm pretty sure he had 20-plus goals this year. So he's expected to score in the series. So you're going to have to watch out for him too. And the Leafs' offense is just going to have to find a way to beat the Columbus Blue Jackets' defense. You know, one of the best offenses in the league versus one of the best defense in the league. So it's going to be a great series to watch. Yeah, the Blue Jackets gave up only 187 goals this year, which is actually the least in their division. That's against a New York Islanders team that is coached against Barry or coached by Barry Trotz. So that just tells you how tough the John Tortorella defense is. Is it, I know we're looking at about an over a month. I know the phase three and phase four dates are kind of wavering. Phase three is supposed to be July 10th, but that's up in the air with everything and the ever changing case that is this coronavirus pandemic. But is it too early to tell Joseph? how long the series can go. You said it could go the distance, but what do you think could happen in that series? Do you think the Leafs can get a jump right away? Do you think, I mean, how do you think the play is going to go? Will the game be a little sloppy like the first couple games in the season, or do you think both teams will be fine-tuned, ready to go, and we're going to have ourselves some great hockey? See, I'm not too sure. You just don't know what's going to happen. You don't know if teams will be well-rested and ready to jump on the ice and just win or if they're going to be rusty because they haven't played in time. And a person that comes to mind is Freddie Anderson, the Leafs. You've seen with him having a lot of rest comes not the best goaltending. So I hope that, you know, a lot of rest for this Leafs team uh, gives them, you know, an energy when they come back and, you know, hopefully they will of it, but we just don't know if they're going to get rusty or it's a well-deserved break and they're ready to come back on the ice and play hockey. Well, we will definitely see come whenever we have it. Obviously, the dates for the start of the extended playoffs are to be foreseen. They're talking August, but then again, that's all for you know a possibility that could change tomorrow. It could change by the time we do this interview. By the time we actually do the show for next week, it may be an ever-changing scene. Once again, we've been talking with Joseph Zeta 
of Fans Sighted, of Editor and Leaf on Fans Sighted. Also writes for Raptors Rapture. So if you want your basketball content, he's your guy to go to because, I mean, by basketball content, I mean the good team in the NBA, the Toronto Raptors. I still have their We the Champion shirt, and I have their little flag that they were handing out there at the parade. One of the like 5 million people that were there at that parade. But Joseph, thank you once again for coming on. And hopefully the next time we chat, hopefully we're talking about some hockey and maybe the Leafs in Columbus past. We'll see who makes it out of that series. It'll be a fun one. Thanks again, Joseph. Thank you for having me. Have a, have a great day. And welcome back to the Keel Show, everyone. Tyler Keel here riding solo for the following interview here. We got one of our many awesome guests, obviously getting ready for the playoffs. We got to get all the people we can here to talk about the great sport of hockey, especially coming out of the Western Conference. One of the teams that's going to be in the round robin will be the Dallas Stars. So we are decided to bring on one of the writers for the Dallas Morning News. He also used to write for the Florida Panthers a few years back. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Matthew DeFranks. Matthew, how are you doing this morning, sir? Doing all right. How are you? I am doing good. I say morning, but of course, it's a pre-recorded interview when we record usually at night on Monday nights. But thank you very much for taking the time here, Matt. And how have you been handling this whole coronavirus pandemic? Everyone's been doing their own sort of thing. How have you been doing during this time? Uh, it's been all right. Um, I left Dallas for about three months and drove up to St. Louis. My girlfriend lives up there. So um, I spent about three months living with her up there and then uh, got back to Dallas uh, maybe, I think, two weeks ago now. So um, it's been uh, a little bit of an adjustment period, both going up to St. Louis and coming back, but kind of ready for hockey to uh, to start up again. Yep, with Monday being the day that training camp is supposedly supposed to start, and with one of those teams starting up, will be the Dallas Stars. Are they going to be starting? Are they going to be at the American Airlines Center there for their training camp, like everyone else is at their home rinks? Uh, they'll be at their practice facility up in Frisco, so that's where they normally practice. Where they normally hold training camp. Uh, they just have a better um, setup as far as uh, weight training and video rooms and and all that stuff to, to get ready for training camp. And it's a, it's a smaller venue so that they can keep a tighter bubble um, has, I think probably better uh, ways to get uh, in and out safely than the American airlines center. So they're going to be up in Frisco, which is uh, about, 25, 30 minutes north of downtown Dallas. It's funny you mentioned that. I was actually supposed to be there in Frisco back in March for the ACHA National Championships when they were supposed to be down there. But unfortunately, that was canceled during this whole pause. But a team mm-hmm. that was good was the Dallas Stars heading into the pause. They were feeling very confident and a very good team for the most part. They were top three in the Central Division, unlike a spot like last year where they were in a wild card position. How has this team been different from last year? This year has been kind of a wild year for, for the Stars, to say the least, honestly. Um, I think when you look at it as a whole, they they might be a little bit better offensively. Um, I, I don't remember the number off the top of my head, but I think they were third worst offense in the league last year. And this year they've improved that to maybe the seventh or eighth worst offense in the league. So um, still not great offensively. But they're a little bit better. Um, they found some secondary scoring with uh, Dennis Duryanov and Rope Hints, who hadn't truly had breakouts until late last year or early this year. Um, so those are two two kind of weapons that they've added. Um, obviously, we, we saw some down years from from the big guys. Um, 
Tyler Sagan led the team with 50 points, but in, you know, almost 70 games. So it's not really the production he's used to. Jamie Benn, Alexander Radulov, Joe Pavelski, John Klingberg, they all had their production down. And so really, when you look at this year's Stars team, it's similar to last year's in that they they lean on their defense pretty heavily. Uh, they lean on their, their defense and their goaltending. They don't give up a ton of chances, uh, especially high-danger ones in the slot. And when they do, they have arguably the best goaltending tandem in the league, um, probably the best one in the West. Um, I guess you can make a case for Boston being better. Arizona's probably up there, but Dallas uh, with, with Ben Bishop and Anton Hudobin um, have been really good. So on the macro level, you know, that's kind of how they look versus last year. But, you know, on a you know week to week, month to month, day to day sort of basis, it's been a, a crazy season for Dallas. They started the season one seven one. Um, it kind of looked like they just were a bad team, that they weren't generating any chances. They weren't getting enough shot attempts. Um, they weren't doing anything correctly. And then that kind of switched around and, uh, you know, they changed coaches in December. Jim Montgomery got fired and then uh, they had the Winter Classic. They, they had uh, probably a three or four month stretch where they were the best team in the NHL. And then they closed uh, the regular season on a six-game losing streak. So I think the the break probably came at a decent time for them, uh, where they were kind of losing their grip on a playoff spot potentially. They had some other teams coming up on them, but uh, now they're they're one of the top four teams in the West, and they can cruise into that first round of the playoffs. Yeah, and that that's going to be a big part for this Dallas team because I know some people think the round robin they're meaningless games, but they have some meaning in the fact that they can play either a lower seed or a higher seed depending on how they play. But you talked about Montgomery getting fired and then Rick Bonus coming in. But despite that six game losing streak, how has he done as the new bench boss for the Dallas Stars since coming on board? Yeah, it's been uh, it's been mostly the, the same system that they've been running. Um, under Jim Montgomery, you know, Rick Bonus and him both have defense first uh, mentalities. And so it wasn't a philosophy change when Rick Bonus came in for Jim Montgomery in December. Uh, it was the biggest changes you saw were, were deployment based, honestly. Um, he likes relying on his checking line a little bit more. So that was Andrew Codliano, Radit Foxa, and Blake Como. So he kind of relied on them a little bit more and less on the the young guys uh, with maybe some defensive deficiencies like Dennis Gurionov and Rope Hintz. Um, so you saw a little bit of that. Um, he he hadn't had a, a ton of time or a chance to, to change his systems. And I think that's going to be something to look for during this restart is, you know, the past four months, um, him and his staff have been not only scouting themselves, but other teams. And they've kind of landed on the fact that they need to generate more offense. And so when I've talked to him during this break, it was been, it's been about coming into training camp and having more possession in the offensive zone, better breakouts from their own zone and a better transition in the neutral zone. So uh, kind of all three zones, they want to be better offensively. Uh, we'll see how that looks. Um, you know, certainly you look at the roster and you say, the talent is there to make it happen. Um, but we just haven't seen it in the last two years, really. So we'll see how it looks during this restart and if uh, the Stars can be better offensively. But for the most part, Rick Bonus has kind of kept the same uh, system and same playing style as Jim Montgomery since December. And it's going to be interesting because Dallas, like you said, has had the big dogs, the Sagan, the Radulov, Ben line. That was like, I don't want to say they're a one-trick pony. Unfortunately, it's Dallas, so horses and everything in the rodeo down there is huge. But that was their big line. And like you said, the numbers have gone down a little bit. But 
That said, everyone's coming back. The systems are going to be a little bit different. Everyone's going to be a little bit rusty. So it's almost better that Dallas focuses on the defensive side and then maybe those offensive guys that have been quiet throughout most of the season can possibly take advantage against a, I guess, I don't want to say an inexperienced, but kind of a, a rusty defensive system when they go into the round robin playoffs. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I don't think any of us know uh, how any teams are going to look, right? Um, whether this long break has allowed veteran players, some of the older players to recover, or whether they're just kind of, uh, you know, four months older and not as good as they were before, right? So uh, I don't know if that's going to happen. Uh, I don't know if the goalies are going to be ready to go right from the start or if, you know, they're going to let in some soft ones here and there. Um, I think we're all under the impression that the the defensive structure will be there because that's it's easier to find than the skill um, offensively. So we could see some defensive games, but who knows if that translates to fewer goals because we don't know if the goal is going to be right. So it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see how this all shakes out. And we'll, you know, during the two weeks of training camp, the the one week of exhibition games. Um, I think we'll probably get a better idea of it. Um, and then for the stars jumping into that round robin, like you said earlier, they're, they're going in with, with the mentality to win the number one seed in the West. Uh, I think, you know, there was some thought perhaps to, to treating those three games as, as tune-ups um, because, you know, it, it, there is a difference between one and four, obviously. Uh, but for the stars, do you want to treat those as ways to to get Anton Hudobin in a game instead of just relying relying on Ben Bishop? Because you don't know what the schedule is going to look like if there's going to be back to backs or your uh, you know tight schedules or whatnot. So uh, there was some thought to that, but when I talked to to Rick Bonus, he said no, we're we're going in there with the idea to win the top seed in the West. And you know I think you and I both know that that top seed in the West is going to matter. A little bit more than it would in the regular season or in, the, in a normal normal playoffs year, just because of the reseeding effects and the fact that you know you could have teams nine through twelve, you know, pull an upset and then suddenly you're the top seed and you're facing one of those teams instead of uh, you know one of those other would be normal playoff teams. So I, I think that that matters a ton to the stars, and uh, we'll see how they play and how they deploy and how they use goaltenders in that round robin. Well, I've already said a couple weeks ago on the show when we've heard about how or when the draft lottery happened that it was going to be a uh, play-in team that had a chance. And I said if Chicago actually beat Edmonton, that the fix was in. So hopefully it's not a <laughs> Hawks versus Stars series because even though that would be an entertaining series. But I would say this. I, I love looking at the blue line because a guy that came on last year, Miro Heiskinen, and like efficient skater. I don't want to say he reminded me of a John Klingberg, but he reminded me of Klingberg in the retrospect that when Klingberg came onto the stars years ago, he was like, all right, here's the next big young defenseman. And Klingberg has really developed into one of the best in the league. Now Heiskanen steps in. He is the youngest player on the roster, at least full-time. He has played the most minutes, average time on ice going 23-46. How has his second full season as a Dallas star turned out in the Big D? Yeah, it's uh, for him, I think it's, it's been kind of a, a season of, of two seasons as well. Um, he came out of the gate really, really well. Um, he was piling up points, which he hadn't really done in his in his rookie season. I think that was part of the reason that uh, Darlene finished third in the Calder uh, instead instead of uh, instead of Miro Heiskanen. So I, you know, he was piling up assists. He was leading transition games. He was uh, really um, 
deft in his stitch checks and his poach checks, sweep checks. Um, really good with his stitch and kind of getting the puck off of other players. And that's still part of his game. Um, but you could see there are times later in the year where he wasn't as good offensively. Um, he hasn't become clean bird on the power play. He just hasn't been able to to be up there at the point and uh, and run a, a successful power play as, as much as the Stars probably would like him to. Um, but overall, he is he's the number one guy on the stars right now. Um, as much as we talked about John Klingberg and, and the points he put up, uh, even two years ago, or, you know, even last year he went in with Norris trophy, uh, you know, kind of candidacy talk around it. But now when you're around the stars and you mentioned the Norris trophy, the first thought is going to be Miro Haston and, and that's going to be the way for, for a while. And, and for him, it's going to be interesting to see, um, what happens, I guess this off season and, next off season because his his entry level contract runs out in 2021 and it's the same time that Rasmus Dahlin, Quinn Hughes and Cam McCarr uh all all of their ELCs run out at the same time so I'm interested to see you know who signs first for what and how it affects the other ones um so that's going to be a big thing with Miro Haston and how he fits into the stars cap um, but undoubtedly, the stars will will find room for him. He's he's kind of their their biggest draft pick that they've hit on in the last ten years or so, and uh, and he's been as advertised. Uh, he's been really good since since the start. I, I remember watching his first shift in the NHL uh, last year. I guess second shift technically, but he was all all the way up and down the ice, uh, leading leading the charge, going back on defense. He's he's just so much fun to watch, and it's uh, it's one of those things where you you don't really recognize how good he is until you see him every day and uh and he's been that good even though he has maybe tailed off a little bit at the end of the year uh, that's the worst part about i guess to say the eastern bias that some of us can't catch those far west games so you miss out on guys like high skin and whatnot even some miss out on guys like kale mccarr and quinn hughes but i remember how everyone said 2019 was the year of the offer sheet with aho and maybe mitch marner it seems like 2021 may be the year of the defenseman offer sheet with all those big names but yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it'll be I, I don't know about that just because they're, they're all going to be such big numbers. And I think you, you saw it with with Carolina, unless you go really big, it, like Montreal needs to probably go a little bit bigger there. Um, it's going to be an easy, easy sign. And uh, I think for Carolina made their job easier just knowing that I don't have to negotiate all summer like, you know, the Leafs did have to do with Marner. Right. So right. Um, so we'll see what happens next summer. I, I originally thought there was a chance that you know, maybe, maybe Botterill kept his job this summer and, and signed Darlene to kind of a, a massive contract as a, uh, as a, like a last sort of last sort of ditch effort. And, uh, I was interested to see if he would do that and how it would affect the other ones, but I guess now we don't have to worry about that. Right. Well, I'm now, I guess the big news with the CBA, the tentative agreement and actually the almost confirmed agreement now with the salary cap not changing for the next few seasons. Do you think that will have an effect on all these young defensemen's next contracts? Uh, maybe. I mean, I, I think you'll probably see it more with, you know, the older guys like, like Petrangelo, you'll probably see it affect his contracts a little bit more. Um, I think the, the one way that I would see affecting the younger guys would be for um, their preference in terms of short term or long term. Um, like, do they want to just lock in for for eight years now and get their certainty um, instead of signing either you know a smaller bridge deal or something in between like like Austin Matthews did 
right? That I think you signed a five-year deal. Um, so it'll be interesting to see kind of the term on it because there is some uncertainty um, going forward, whether hockey-related revenue will go up um, or if that cap is going to stay the same, you know, four, five, six years out into the future. So I, I'm not sure if uh, if they want to gamble and say, you know what, I'll, I'll take a, a short-term deal um, and then hope the cap goes up and then hope my, my cap hit goes higher. Or if you want to just lock it in right now and say eight years at, you know, nine, ten million dollars and just be done with it. Uh, you know, nine, ten million. That that sounds pretty good. I think I could live off that for just a, a few uh, for almost <laughs> almost an entire decade. But I, yeah, yeah, I, I want to go back to the defense there, Matthew, because I love looking at this team and just how how just the depth of them. And I remember when in 2017, when Nashville ran through the Western Conference, even though they were the bottom seed, they had this defense, the top two of Ekholm, Subban, Ellis, Yossi, depending on you could have put those four in any combination possible. The Stars have that kind of going now. Heiskin and Klingberg, Lindell, you can throw Sakara in there, you can throw, I mean, John's in there, even Alexiak from time to time. Is Dallas's decor getting to that point where it's overall top to bottom, one of the best in the league? Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Um, I think the only thing that, that they're missing is the offensive side of it, right? Um, you look at Lindell and uh, John's, Alexiak, etc. Uh, I guess, you know, we could count it, pull out for this past year, and even though he's probably not going to be coming back. But all of those guys aren't going to be putting up points and not going to be, you know, leading a power play for the most part. So I think that's kind of where they come up short on that kind of two-way game. Um, but I think defensively, yeah, they're one of the best units, pretty balanced. Um, you know, I, I think they can roll out six, six players and not have an issue with whatever pairings on the ice. Because um, I think when you, when we come to the playoffs, we're going to see Lindell with Klingberg, Hastinen with Johns, and then Sekera and Alexiak together. So I think you can roll out those three pairs and then uh, and be comfortable with what you see out there. Um, and I don't know if a lot of teams have that have that um, certainty. You know, I think maybe you look at, at St. Louis having a better decor. Uh, it's, you know, especially I know Falk has underperformed this year, um, but Scandell has come in and played well. And you have Petrangelo, Pareto, uh, you have Dunn, uh, Gunnarsson. You have a good a good core there that can do some things. Um, and I think. You know, they're they're pretty comparable. Um, those two detours. I think St. Louis might be a little bit better, um, but it's just funny to see how, the, how different ones shape up. Because that Nashville one that you mentioned, even even as close as last year, right before Subban got traded, um, that was who the Stars played in the first round of the playoffs, and they were so much to deal with in the offensive zone because. Ekholm, Yossi, Ellis, and Subban, they all kind of were active in the offensive zone uh, pretty good offensively. Um, you had to account for them in the offensive zone, and I don't think you'd quite have to do that with you know, the top four of the stars yet. So I would put them in, in the good but not uh, upper echelon of, of defense cores right now. Well, they like you said, they will be going against St. Louis, a team they went one, three, and one against in the regular season. They went 4-0 and against Colorado, only played twice against Vegas, who really needs to step up in this round, Robin, for the Stars to move on? Is it the goaltending? Will the offense really need to come on? Is it going to be relied on the big three? Who will the Stars need to help them move on, or not just move on, excuse me, but be towards the top come the end of that round, Robin, into the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, I, I don't really I don't really know because the, the three-game sample size against three different teams, 
um, it's tough to, to kind of put a theme through it. Um, like if you just took a three game segment in the regular season and said, you know, who was important there, I think it'd probably be different every night. So, um, especially against different opponents during this round robin, I, I think you're probably going to be leaning more on, on the veterans. We might guess, I don't, I don't know for sure, but, um, you know, these guys that have kind of dealt with a lot and, and coming back after a four month layoff into, into a round robin, you know, almost five months, I guess, um, would be, they'd be more able to handle it. Um, but I'm not sure if there's an overarching theme. I think the stars will in general lean on their defensive goaltending like they have all year. Um, but we'll see if, you know, if that's a, a constant throughout the three games, um, you know, maybe Ben Bishop has a bad game and Anton Hudobin comes in or, or what. But, um, yeah, I think they're just going to need kind of just overall solid effort. I know how how like uh, how poor that sounds, but, um, you know, the, the Blues, the, the Avs and the and the Knights are, are pretty different teams. And obviously the Stars have had different levels of success against them. So I think it'll probably be different keys in each game. You talked about how maybe Bishop has a bad game and Hudobin goes in. How tight of a leash will Coach Bonus have with Ben Bishop? Obviously, knowing that Hudobin could step in and play really well, obviously, though, Ben Bishop being the starter. How how quick do you think Bonus would be if Bishop has a bad game to go with Hudobin moving forward? For like a start the next game? Yeah, something like that, yeah. Um, I think it'd have to be pretty long. Um, I, I think that, you know, Rick Bonus and Ben Bishop have known each other for, for a while. They... They're both in Tampa um, for a bit, you know, when, when Rick Bonus was coaching defenseman there and, and Bishop was the goalie there. And even last year uh, when Ben Bishop was a, was a Vezina finalist and candidate, he was talking about how all of his best seasons have come when Rick Bonus is the, is the defense coach. So uh, they have a pretty good relationship. Um, and I, I think especially in a playoff scenario, I think it would have to be kind of, two or three bad games in a row sort of sort of situation um maybe two games in a row i don't think in playoffs you can wait for three in a row but uh i don't think it's going to be one bad game and you're you're out for for you lost your job i I don't think it'll be that um i i think that you know if he has a tough game and they bring the pull pull him and put hudobin in the next game bishop starts and has another rough start then i think that may be the time to to switch but given bonuses track record with Bishop and kind of uh, the, the one horse effect of the playoffs, right? You see so many teams just riding that one guy. Um, and, now, and of course we've seen in the past few years with Pittsburgh or Washington, where they start out with one guy and switch to the other. Um, but I, I can't really see it happening. That's hung with a guy like Ben Bishop and his coach uh, Rick bonus. Yeah, it's good to have a veteran guy like there, like Bishop, who had been to the Stanley Cup Finals before, back when he was with Tampa, back in 2015. We've been chatting here with Matthew DeFranks of the Dallas Morning News. You all can follow Matthew on Twitter, at MDeFranks. And, of course, Matthew, thank you once again. We're excited. We'll see Dallas August 1st right now is the tentative date for the qualifying round to begin. Hopefully, we have hockey then because, let's be honest, I've been getting a little antsy over here. I don't know how you've been down there in Dallas. Yeah, I'm just ready for it to come back, ready to go cover something and write about something and you know, write about training camp at the very least. So, yeah, ready to get going uh, on Monday. Yeah, well, good to see the ice down and players on the ice. Matthew, thank you once again for taking the time and stay safe out there and can't wait to see what you have for the Dallas Morning News. 
Absolutely. Thanks for having me. And we'll be back with more of the Kula Show right after this. And we're back here on the Kula Show. Sorry about that once again there, folks, for all the glitchiness and all the technical difficulties. Obviously, we're still getting used to this here on the Kula Show. And appreciate you for all your patience if you're still tuning in here. Obviously, we're in the final, a little over half hour left here in today's show. And I will also be, I'm not done yet tonight. It's, like, it's kind of interesting. Not done yet. Got a little bit more to go because I will be joining the Rando. On Talking Myers with the Rando coming up right after this 8.30 Eastern time start of that show here on 12 Ounce Sports, here on 12OunceSportsRadio.com, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter for 12 Ounce Sports. So the video will be up tomorrow, like I said, the replay of this on demand on our Cule Show Twitter, Twitter page, as well as our YouTube channel as well. Hopefully not as much glitches, but once again, like I said, the on the podcast form of today's show, that will have Joseph Zita's interview in entirety. Once again, thank you to Matthew DeFranks of the Dallas Morning News for coming on. I know we couldn't really put it to anything fancier for him. I apologize to Matthew on that one, but we were able to get it out and get the good interview had him. we had with him and the Dallas Stars. Like I said, Talking Miners coming up next here on TKS. And, you know, with that, there's always always issues you're going to have here when you're doing a show. I mean, there's always going to be technical difficulties. I know a lot of people that I follow on YouTube that posts live stuff and they have to do sometimes two or three takes given internet connections. So don't worry. We're getting the bugs figured out. I guarantee you by 20, by the end of this CBA guys, we will be an HD crazy, awesome graphics and everything. We'll probably have an intern doing, you know, being our producer over here in a corner that really has nothing more than my old TV and my Sega and my Nintendo entertainment system. Do I have anything else? Oh, my PS2 is over there as well. Yeah. So that corner, maybe not, but Eventually, hey, maybe I'll have a house by then. Who knows? But there is obviously some more hockey talk to go with. There is some breaking news, breaking news that actually happened while my interview with Matthew DeFranks is going on. Elliot Friedman, good buddy Fried, didn't feel like texting me, but it's okay. Ilya Sorokin signing with the New York Islanders for the remainder of this season. It is a one-year contract that is more of a formality, but it's nine hundred twenty-five grand the base salary, and I'm not quite sure how. This will work in terms of the money. Capfriendly.com, come save me now. Big contract because now that gives a, the Islanders a third goaltender. And I know there were a lot of people that weren't quite sure on how that was going to work with everything because, I mean, there you know you have two goaltenders already in Yar, in excuse me, not Yaroslav Halak, almost said Halak, but in Semyon Varlamov. And Thomas Grice. Now that said, you had a third goaltender, more or less, to be your dark horse. And Ilya Sorokin, a very capable goaltender coming out of Russia. It is such a new contract that it's not even up on cap friendly yet because it has to be confirmed by the league. But just a little bit more. And I know that the Islanders are in a bit of a goaltending controversy, more so than they were last season, because Robin Leonard last year really took the reins for the Islanders come playoff time. And now, obviously, with him being in Vegas now backing up. Marc-Andre Fleury, that opened the door for Semyon Varlamov to really have a bounce-back season among some of the best in NHL history. I don't know if he's going to quite win the Masterton Award, but he has had himself quite the redemption season in the island, or, well, Brooklyn and Nassau and the island, you know, both split in time. Well, you know, Belmont Park, it'll be up in no time. I'm sure Islanders fans are excited for that. But Barry Trotz has actually come out and said that it's going to be a battle between the two. 
he's going to have to see how it goes in camp. He's going to have to see how it goes come the come August 1st. And, uh, you know, you're interested to see how that's going to play out because I really want to see... I mean, I love the idea of having Simeon Varlamov because Varlamov, for me in particular, I remember when he was in Washington. Those first couple of years, wearing number 40 and then playing the Winter Classic, those were great years for Varlamov. But then again, he had a great team in front of him. That was when Mike Green was at his peak. That was when Alex Ovechkin was just scoring any which way he can. I mean, then again, he's still doing that now. But he was a little younger then. I think he was still using CCM at that time, the first time around. Not even the captain yet. But then Varlamov went to Colorado. A lot of fanfare with that. Had a good season under Patrick Waugh that first year. But then they got knocked up by Minnesota, and everything went down the toilet. Now, I know that's not the sound a toilet makes, but you know what? Unfortunately, I don't have a soundboard, a side soundboard to make a flushing noise because... I would. I'm not mad money guy. I don't do that. I don't know the guy's name. That's, But regardless, the numbers are interesting between the two. Both are very capable goaltenders, Varlamov and Thomas Grice. Grice, who pretty much took the Islanders and said, hey, guys, in 2016, of course, let's just beat everybody and make it all the way to the, conf- or the, se- the second round of the playoffs, win a playoff round for the first time since 93. Pretty much did that. John Tavares, of course, scoring that famous double overtime winner at the Barclays Center in Game 6, beating the Atlantic Division-winning Panthers, Florida Panthers. Yeah, I know. It's, it's still funny for me to say that because I, I'm i still wondering how that ever happened. That was just an off year for everything. I have to remind myself that post 405 lockout that the Panthers have won the division they were in twice. They won the 11-12 Southeast Division, somehow better than the Capitals, and then the 15-16 Atlantic Division. I mean, it's just kind of mind-boggling to think about that because that I remember that Panthers team in 11-12. Remember who their starting goaltender was? Jose Theodore. Who their backup was? Scott Clemenson. Boston College grad Scott Clemenson. That team should not have won the division. Then again, hey, when you're Florida, you take advantage of odd years. 96. Hey, New Jersey Devils, defending Stanley Cup champions, don't make the playoffs. Hey, let's just take, hey, Van Beesbrook, can you just take us to the final? Sure, just drags this lunch pail gang all the way there and, yes, ran into a superstar Colorado Avalanche team who, by the way, would have played Florida in the playoffs had they not moved from Quebec. Because everyone always forgets that. Everyone thinks that the Quebec Nordique were just an awful franchise. I'm like, no, they had a couple bad years. Yes, they had the three years in a row. They had the first overall pick, but by 94-95, that team was actually a really good hockey team. They were the second best team in the NHL in that shortened lockout season, and then they pretty much took that team and just moved them to Colorado, Denver, put Patrick Waugh as a starting goaltender, and Stanley Cup champion. Look at that. Hey, go figure. But back to the Islanders here. Varlamov versus Grice. Varlamov did get the brunt of the games this year starting 39 to Grice's 28. Numbers-wise, a little bit better. 914 save percentage to Grice's 913. 262 goals against average to Grice's 274. I Barry Trotz is smart by not giving the job right away. Because let's be honest, you don't know how good either goaltender is going to be after this layoff. You don't know if Varlamov is going to be Varlamov form that he was at the beginning of March. You don't know if Grice is going to be capable. What if both are bad, but Grice is so much worse that you have to start Varlamov against Florida, who the Islanders are taking on in the first round of the playoffs. 
the play-in series, excuse me. Goaltending is such an odd thing to do. And that's why I had coaches, remember to talk about goaltenders, I almost just ignore it because I don't know what to believe. Having played myself, having played collegially, having played, you know, semi-pro and low levels of minor leagues, I don't, I've never had a coach understand goaltending. And that's just not because I, I'm just biased because they didn't play me in certain games or whatever. Granted, yes, that happened. But these guys just kind of go with what they hear from the goaltending coach. If you could get the goaltending coach in front of a microphone, that'd be better because I like to hear what they say. Here, well, you go, how's Varlama feeling? Well, you know, he's feeling good. He's got good movement, good flexibility. He's reacting to the puck well, tracking it well. That's what I want to hear as a goaltender myself. Now, granted, that may be boring to everyone else and boring to some of you at home, but I'd rather hear that than say, well, he's stopping the puck. Everything's good. Now, yes, that's a funny answer. And yeah, everyone's like, oh, they chuckle about it because, you know, they're like, oh, this is great. Hey, it's funny because uh, the coach is just playing it off like he knows nothing. Well, let's. I, I'm sorry. I'm not saying Barry Trotz doesn't know anything. He won, was able to win a Stanley Cup with Braden Holtby, who was able to somehow have a pretty darn good playoff after having a miserable regular season. One of his worst regular seasons, that is. But I like the fact that he's at least. Not given an answer yet, though. Because you do want to see how they're going to look. Because in practice, yeah, you know, you're going to judge by who's stopping the puck. But obviously, the goaltending coach is in Trotz's ear. Assistant coaches, even the players. I mean, I'm sure he's going to, you know, some of the big guys. Brock, hey, how, how, how's he looking over there? You know, how's, how's Thomas looking? Hey, you know, Matt Barzell, you're able to put this puck by, by Varlamov every shot. How's he looking other than that? Well, you know, I mean, get the input of the, the team around him because... The confidence of the team relies on its goaltender. I have seen teams that are absolutely phenomenal with one goaltender. They put either a backup in or a different guy in net, and they just completely crumble. This is going to be a horrible example, but this is one that always comes to my mind. It was the 0809 season, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. Michigan Wolverines. I could be wrong on the year. I may be wrong on the air. If you can, please fact check me. Throw it in the comments, whether you're on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter. Billy Sauer was the starting goaltender of the year before, 07-08. And that was the year Michigan made all the way to the Frozen Four. Billy Sauer has an awful game in the Frozen Four against Notre Dame. Brian Hogan comes in, finishes the game, gets to overtime. They end up losing. The next season, Brian Hogan and Billy Sauer once again the tandem. Billy Sauer was supposed to be the number one net minder, played really well the year before. But then, Brian Hogan has a much better year. And that's because the team had more confidence in him. The amount of goals, the amount of shots given up between the two, like Billy Sauer's numbers were so much worse in the 0809 season because the team tried so hard defensively, they ended up making mistakes in front of him, allowing the great scoring chances. His, his help offensively was not there. The amount of, you did like heavy analytics on it. The goals for with Billy Sauer in that, that season and the goals for, for Matt, Brian Hogan were just night and day. No goal support for Billy Sauer. Unbelievable goal support for Brian Hogan. That's because the team was confident in front of him. Now, in the NHL terms, yes, you've seen it all the time. When a backup comes in, some teams just don't know what to do with themselves. I, you know what? I always, I like, I mean, I harp on Garrett Sparks. I harped him on him before on, on the Kiel podcast, and I understand that. He's a goaltender. He plays in the NHL. He's good enough to get there. There was no help from him, from the Leafs. There was no confidence 
in him from the Leafs. Coach, players, management, everybody. That's why he only got one season as a shot as the backup. McElhenney, all the confidence in the world before that. Jack Campbell, a little bit more confidence. Michael Hutchinson, when Sparks was there, confidence. This year, not so much. It didn't quite go well for Hutchie. But that's what I'm saying. Will the team be more confident in front of Varlamov? Will they be more confident in front of Grice? This season, guess what? The goal support hasn't been there for either goaltender. The goal t- the defense itself has not been as good as it has been in the past, but they have capable goaltending. And the statistics show before the pause that Varlamov would be the guy. That said, training camp, four months off. Hey, listen, if you think these guys lived a clean, healthy lifestyle from St. Paddy's Day until now, I'm sorry, you're fooling yourself. These guys probably had a few beers because they thought, well, season's over. At, the, at one point, I'm pretty sure, at the height of the coronavirus, the first wave at least, I'm pretty sure not many players thought they were going to come back. So the fact that they thought at first, yeah, I don't, we're not going to play next year, they probably put on a few pounds of carbohydrates, so they have to get back in shape. Who's going to come out better? We'll see. I, off the top of my head right now, I'd like to save Arlamov because he's had a better year. But as we've talked with, you know, not just, you know, broadcasters and writers and everyone, as you get the theme here is who knows what's going to happen in these playoffs? Who knows who's going to be ready? It's all to be foreseen. Will Varlamov be a better goaltender? Will Grice be a better goaltender? We have to wait. We have a couple weeks to figure that out. Barry Trotz has plenty of time to think about it. See him in practice, see him in camp. It'll be interesting to see who the Islanders go with when they take on the Florida Panthers. Now, that said, moving on couple players that are trying to get back to 100% to be ready for these playoffs. Greg Pattern of the Minnesota Wild, out indefinitely with an upper body injury. Interesting to see how that goes, because obviously Greg Pattern, veteran defenseman on a wild team that was starting to get hot there come March. Minnesota, I mean, I know everyone jokes that, oh man, another another playoff run for Minnesota, five games and out, maybe have one win at home, get the crowd in Minnesota crazy, give them two more wins. This year, obviously, no home games in Minnesota, but regardless, dogs barking in the background again. But Minnesota this year just is may surprise some people. I don't like it's not going to be a shoe in series against Vancouver. I don't I don't expect them to Vancouver just to complete walk over. Yes, there is a dog tail in your camera in your on your screen there. That is Kana coming over to say hello. But I'm interested to see how that series goes. Remember, we talked with Matthew Zator a few weeks ago on TKP asking him about how the Canucks are going to feel going into that series. But I'm not quite sure exactly how it's going to go. Because, yes, on paper, I would favor Vancouver over Minnesota. And, yes, Minnesota was going hotter in the break than Vancouver was. So it may be a little bit even on paper. However, paper should be just recycled, recycled, thrown away, recycled, do it properly, save the earth. But it should be thrown away. Because who knows how it's going to happen? Who knows that if... I loved, I keep comparing, I know, the Edmonton series to Edmonton-Chicago series as like the, the odd match, but Alex DeBrincat may have a great series. Corey Crawford may come back and steal the show and absolutely outplay whether it's Miko Koskin or Mike Smith for the Oilers. It could be a who-knows series. Chicago may win that three straight. It could happen. Anything's possible right now. That's why I think Minnesota, people are counting them out against Vancouver. I don't believe that one darn bit, but it all remains to be foreseen. Another guy that's trying to get back in the lineup and a guy that's had lower body problems throughout his entire career, which makes me just think he's literally the second coming of Steve Eiserman. Steven Stamkos. 
out indefinitely with a lower body injury again. He did skate today, though, in Tampa at Amelie between the two groups of training camp. So I wonder if he's actually, I mean, you wonder what the timetable is. Everyone, Julian Breezewa, the general manager of the Tampa Bay Lightning, has come out and said that he is confident that he'll be ready to go come August 1st for the round robin. Now, he may not get used a ton because those games technically don't matter in terms of advancing. Obviously, you'd rather be the higher seed. But then again, imagine if you're the high seed and Carey Price has, as we talked with, you know, with Jim Jackson, Carey Price may have three amazing games against Pittsburgh, and all of a sudden he's the hottest goaltender going to round one. And then next thing you know, you're going up against one of the best goaltenders in the league, all-world Carey Price all over again. But I wondered, I wonder, you know, what's his feeling like? You know, he's coming back, and of course Tampa had to shut down their facilities a couple weeks ago because of a coronavirus outbreak. How is how? What's the mental state of that team? A team that has had so much heartbreak. I I remember I said it, and I'll say it before, and I'll say it again. The Tampa Bay Lightning are going to win this Stanley Cup. Come hell or high water, they're going to win this thing because it's the literally history repeating itself for Detroit in the 90s. You have the best record. You're always the top team in your conference for years and years and years. Heartbreak, heartbreak, heartbreak. People have to remember 2015, Tampa lost. 95, Wings lost to New Jersey. A team that in Tampa, people actually thought Tampa was going to beat Chicago. It would have been interesting. I don't mean, it was probably a little bit closer because remember how favored Detroit was going in that 95 series. Dad, if you're still watching, I know you remember that series and how the Wings were supposed to just smack New Jersey around. And then they ran into the 1 3 1 and Marty Berdur. They just couldn't get by anything because, well, Marty was all world goaltender at that point. Now, bringing that back to Tampa, always a great team. Regular season supremacy, 62 wins last year, and swept by Columbus. Now, yes, the Wings in 96 weren't, they didn't drop off that bad. They at least made it to the conference finals and got beat by Patrick Waugh. But you almost wonder, is this finally the time when no one's looking at Tampa Bay to be the team to win? This is their year to win. It's just like Washington a couple years ago, guys. Remember how Washington... This team not have a chance to win. President's Trophy last year. Guess what, guys? They're done. It's all over. Curtains for the Capitals. They're down two to Columbus. They're going to get swept by the Blue Jackets. And then Brayden Holpe steals the show. And the Capitals move on. And they actually had to beat Tampa Bay to get to the finals to win the Cup over Vegas, a team that was a Cinderella team. This is Tampa's year, guys. They're going to win it. I know it's going to come. I know, yes, it's it's going to be, oh, man, there's going to be no party down in Tampa because it's Florida and the coronavirus. Listen, it doesn't matter. Win a cup. If they win a cup, they win a cup. If the Leafs win a cup, I'll celebrate like they won a cup. Will the party be lame? Sure. But I will definitely be happy that they finally won the thing. And then, of course, when you know everyone's like, oh, of course, the Leafs won in a weird year. Okay, calm down. 2020, it's weird. The Leafs will win the Cup. The Lions will win the Super Bowl. Who knows? Hey, there we go. Trying to redeem myself to all the Detroit fans out there. But it's going to be interesting. I don't know how Tampa's going to play come the round robin. Who knows? I'm curious to see that. Remember how we talked about some goaltending controversy with the Islanders? How about Columbus? 
Columbus is interesting. The team that's going up against the Toronto Maple Leafs, by the way. Jonas Corposalo or Elvis Merzlikens? Now, let's go, let's take a trip down the DeLorean, in the DeLorean, back to September of 2019. Imagine being a Columbus fan, or someone follows the team. Hey, Jonas Corposalo, he's an all-star, right? Even a Columbus fan would have said no. Even a Columbus fan looks at him like, yeah, he's good, but he ain't Bobrovsky, he ain't Bob. All right, well, now Corpus, so we get through the season, it's starting to go along, and Corpus Salo is this fantastic goaltender. All right, he's nominated the All-Star game, and he gets hurt. Well, season's over. Let's call it off, guys. This is a good run. We have this Elvis Merzlikens guy going in the net. He's not going to do... Oh, he won. Okay, cool. You know, beginners. Oh, he won again? He won He won again. And again. And Corpus Salo's back. Guys, I think we have a chance. Who, really, who honestly would have thought that Columbus had an opportunity to really be a threat come the playoffs? I, I, remember, to, I remember sitting here. Actually, I was not here. I was back at the old office, if you will. Back at my brother and I's grandmother's house. But anyways, I said there is not a chance that Columbus was going to be... Like, I said that Columbus was probably going to be one of the worst teams in the Metropolitan Division. I thought New Jersey was going to do better. New Jersey. Fix my mic there. That just tells you how, well, A, how blonde I am. Two, how bad I thought the Blue Jackets were going to be. This was a rebuilding year. They don't have any star power. Felino's your top guy. Cam Atkinson's your leading scorer. That's great and all. You'll be competitive, but you ain't going to win. And then, bam. They were a team, and if the, te- if the playoffs were the typical 16-team format, they would have been in the playoffs still. Wild card team, I understand, but they would have been there without Panarin, without Duchesne, without Bobrovsky, and a lot of the year without Seth Jones. This year without Seth Jones, I'm talking about. But Corpus Allo stood up, Merz Lickens jumped in, John Tortorella came out and said, both deserve to play. Man, how do you not? How do you not just see who's going to play? I mean, yes, obviously with experience, Corpus Allo has been the league logger, but Merz Lickens has played well. And as we mentioned with Jim Jackson regarding Carter Hart, there's not as much fanfare going into these playoffs. No fans, no loud noises, just, yes, the media. I understand. The media, online, everything, that will be still, that will still be there. That was there last year. That was there year before. That was your every year since whenever Twitter was invented. Even before then, AOL Messenger was getting all jacked up. Hey, man, did you guys see that game between Tampa and Philadelphia and they're in the Stanley Cup in the conference finals? Man, that Calgary series is going to be really good. Hey, that goal was in. Okay, I'm sorry. 2004. Jumping back to that. Back to 2020 here. The longest year thus far. The longest year in probably humanity. Okay, with the exception of maybe 1918 and whenever the Black Plague started. I digress. I'm interested to see how Columbus will pull this off. If they're able to pull it off. I Listen, there is a great chance that they could smack around the Leafs. I love watching Leafs-Columbus games because here's what happens. They go to Columbus, and they either get killed or they barely win. Come to Toronto, always a tight game. From my recollection, at least in the last few seasons. We go to like you know, 11, 12, 13, 14, when they're both bad. Who cares? Those games never mattered. 
But nowadays, they're always competitive. You don't know what's going to happen. Columbus may walk in and win three straight. We Remember, we talked with Joseph Zeta before. They may come in and win three straight games. Toronto may win three straight games. Who's going to start? Corpusalo may start game one, give up, what, four on 30 shots. Merzlikin comes in, posts a shutout. May give up four goals the next game. And then Corpusalo goes in, stops 39 to 40. That's maybe how Tortorella is going to play this thing. May play it like a collegiate-style hockey team where, all right, you play bad one night, other guy gets the call. He plays bad, then you go back in net. Why not? If it works, if it worked in the regular season, it'll probably, I don't know if it'll work now, but hey, go for it. No one's picking Columbus to win this thing. Columbus wasn't even supposed to be here. So why not give Columbus an honest opportunity? Right in the final 13 minutes of today's show. Once again, here on 12 Ounce Sports. Coming up next, talking minors with the Rando. Rando's going to be talking about all sorts of good stuff. Not just talking to me either. Not just talking to me about hockey and both collegiately and professionally. He'll also be talking about all the good stuff, including the MLS's back tournament. I'm sure also regarding the Toronto FC DC United cancellation. The Washington Redskins, excuse me, the Washington football team's name change. I can't say the Redskins anymore. And maybe some more baseball talk. I know there's obviously a lot of inter-squad games going on, so there's some highlights there. He'll probably get into that as well. That's coming up at 8.30 Eastern Standard Time, so just a little over 10 minutes from now. And once again, if you're still tuned in, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, or 12OunceSportsRadio.com, thank you very much for dealing with us here today. Obviously, a lot we had to get through in order to get to this point of the show we really didn't think that we honestly were going to make it because, well, we just thought that, you know, the, the feed was going to give out and like, well, we'll try it again next week, boys. You know, it's like taking a 6 nothing loss and music like in the third period. And like, well, this one's over. May as well just sit back and relax. Nope. We kept pushing on through and we finished strong. We'll probably lose the game 6-5, but darn it, we kept trying till the end. But obviously a lot of great other stuff we'll be talking about next week. We already have both our guests lined up. We just got to obviously confirm that they'll be there. They, I already got confirmations this week. Just got to finalize some details on when I'm going to have them on. That'll be announced on our social media pages, which is, includes Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, at The Cool Show on all three of those. Once again, make sure you check out our YouTube channel tomorrow as well. We'll have this video of today's episode. I know it may be... A little glitch around the Joseph Zeta interview. Once again, I do apologize. I, While the interviews were playing with both Joseph and Matthew, I reached out to Joseph, apologized to him, and thank you, Joseph, for being very cool about it. We're definitely going to have him on and get some redemption because Joseph, a great writer and obviously a fun guy to talk to, guy that was born and bred in the GTA, the guy that loves his Leafs, loves his Raptors, fun guy to talk to. Pretty sure he loves the Jays too, at least I hope so, because the Jays, it's going to be their year. No, it's not going to be their year. I, the Jays will be, Jays will be good playoff team I don't know but they'll be good I do have my thoughts on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. playing first base but I digress I'm not here for the I'm not here for the baseball talk if this were a baseball show well you you guys wouldn't be watching or listening because you guys are here for a hockey show not a baseball show I may have baseball fans but there wouldn't be nearly as many I don't I don't know as much about baseball I played baseball I was really good at throwing at people at least that's what my coach said, whether I did it intentionally or not. But I was really good at hitting the catcher's mitt right down the middle, or I was good at hitting people. There was no fans or butts. It was right in the strike zone or at a guy's shoulder. Now, whether or not that was on purpose or accidental, I'll let you all figure that out. But I'm interested to see how these playoffs go. It's going to be interesting. April 1st, 
We'll probably do our big preview episode with the week before. That'll be or at least the week before August 1st, the final Monday before, which will be July the 27th, which we'll have pretty much making sure that everything's good by then making sure that we are going to play so we can actually get predictions in. Obviously, just round by round we'll go because we can't just say go through the entire playoffs because we'll be wrong come round two. Because I guarantee you, if you tell me that, you know, yeah, Edmonton's favored to beat Chicago, but hey, Chicago may sweep them. That's great. Arizona and Nashville, who knows? We talked with Pete Weber last week, and Pete Weber gave the definite positives with the Nashville Predators and how good they've been since John Hines took over. Obviously, a little bit of a skid there towards the beginning of March, but regardless, who knows how Winnipeg-Calgary is going to go. Could I tell you who's going to win Carolina-New York series? No, I can't. I know how my brother feels about that series, and I can tell you, if Henrik Lundqvist can put on a show, who knows? I mean, if Georgiev gets in for the Rangers, maybe the Canes have a chance, but like Luke DeCock said last week on the show, there may be an opportunity for Lundqvist to steal a series, even though he is older than dirt. Queen Elizabeth II is just a hair older than Henrik Lundqvist. I'm King, it's a King Henrik joke, guys. I'm saying the kingdom. He's been around for a while, guys. That's what I'm trying to get at here. If you guys, are you following me? Okay, cool. I mean, you follow me at this point for this long, and, and I apologize for that, but I mean, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a fun playoff. It's going to be busy. It's going to be loud. We're going to be yelling about the entire time. Like I said, we're thinking about twice a week. I'm not going to confirm anything yet. So I got to talk to Alex on that one. He may not be here for both shows in the week, but just want to make sure I can work everything out because, I, I mean, I do have a life outside of this, contrary to what many people believe. The, the, the wife, for example, the wife likes to tell me all the time what she, what she thinks about all this stuff, but it's all, all good fun. But that is pretty much it for this one. We'll take it. We'll end it a little early this week. I know my brother's like, you're going to end it early this week. Yes, Alex, that's not here right now. We're going to end it early this week because, oh, I just pretty much ran out of stuff to talk about. There's been no news in the last five minutes. At least I haven't been told anything yet, but it's going to be a great series, a great bunch of series. We'll see how many go the distance, how many go short. Well, who knows? Hopefully we'll have some news next week. Obviously more training camp news because if hockey Twitter was anything like it was today, it will be, I'm not going to say the word L-I-T, but it'll be an exciting time to be a hockey fan because guess what, folks? We have hockey back. It is showing that science, the light is near the end, guys. We can see the light at the end of the tunnel. Let's slowly make our way towards it and enjoy this opportunity to see hockey in the distance. Some... Sh- Shakespearean theatrical stuff. I'm sorry. I know. I do a lot of talking with my hands. This is why I almost wanted to do this show on video because I, I do this because I don't... I, I'm Ricky Bobby. I don't know what to do with my hands when I start talking. So they start wailing around like a wacky, waving, inflatable tube man guy you see at those awful used car dealerships. Yeah, that's me as a person. And with the energy, it's always plugged in except when I don't have coffee. And then in case I'm just a droopy, wacky, inflatable, arm played tube man thing. It's a lot of words. We've been using a lot of words. Once again, coming up here at 8.30 at the bottom of the hour, talking minors with the rando. He'll be joining, I'll be joining him a little bit early on in the show, talk about hockey more, probably more stuff from this and some college puck too, obviously with that. A little bit of a hint for college hockey talk next week. I may have an interesting guest that you guys will all be interested in, including some Detroit Red Wings stuff. So uh, for all you Red Wings fans out there, be sure to tune in next week. Possibly, maybe, who knows? Mysterious, unsolved, unsolved mysteries. Not a good reboot by Netflix. Once again, you should have left it as is. 
I don't know where I'm going with this. <laughs> Thank you guys once again. Be sure to follow the show once again at The Coolest Show, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Use the hashtag TKS when you talk about today's show. Tweet me at TJKU29. Tweet Alex at RealAlexCool on Twitter. Follow us both on Instagram as well. It has been a wonderful time talking to all of you folks once again here on The Cool Show. We will see you all next week, Monday night, 6 o'clock. We will be back, and we'll be talking more great hockey talk here on The Cool Show here on 12 Ounce Sports. We will see you all next week. Goodbye, everybody. And here's a little bonus for you folks that are listening on the podcast form, whether it be the Cule Show on Spotify, on SoundCloud, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, excuse me, or Google Podcasts. Here is the interview that I did with The Rando from Talking Miners with The Rando, which airs Monday nights, 8.30 p.m. on 12 Ounce Sports. Check it out. Here's the interview that I did with The Rando. Zwip. Welcome back to Talking Miners. I have Tyler Kale on the phone with me right now. Tyler, how are you? I am doing well after a rather tumultuous Kewl Show episode right before this. Everything else is going good, though. We got, got the sun shining here in West Michigan. Players are on the ice and players are on the fields. Sports are coming back, Rando. This is it's a great time. Oh, it sure is. I... I got a lot to talk about when it comes to things like the MLS and a little bit down, down later on the show, but let's talk about the NHL. They've been talking about this playoff bubble, playoff games uh, for what? It seems like a year, but it's really been like three months. There's been all this talk, oh, where's it going to be? Vegas, Edmonton, Toronto, Montreal. Now we've had, we have locations set. We have, you know, the, the schedule is set. We have our seeding games. We have everything set. I guess what's your for those who didn't tune into the show, what's your full thoughts on that? Well, it's been a tale of two cities with with the us here. When we were before we jumped on twelve ounce sports here, if you go back to some of our old cool podcast episodes, I was very and even I had Cody Jansen on of World Hockey Report a while back, and we were pretty sure that there was no way the season was coming back. At that at that point, the coronavirus was at such a peak that we there was no way it was going to come back. There's no way it's going to be allowed out of the house until October. But it started to calm down, and you know players started talking, and they're realizing you know with the CDC and Health Canada that there was going to be a way to have an NHL season. And once you started reading into what the precautions were, you started to believe like okay, this is actually going to happen. And we began to turn a little bit pro, you know, pro return, pro return to play, and they had the right people involved. Gary Bettman, I. I mean, he was a, he's a guy that before this summer, I always harped on. I'm like, this guy has never done anything good for the game, blah, blah, blah. I've, I've gone on many times where I'm not a big fan of Gary Bettman. But this whole scenario, this whole time frame has earned me a whole lot of respect for the man. He has done such a good job of keeping everyone in line and making sure everyone understands what the league is trying to do. So I think my faith in Gary Bettman has kind of flip-flopped from Worst person in the league. I don't think he's going to get booed this year. Let's put it that way. When the Stanley Cup gets handed out, even if it's not going to be with fans in the stands, there won't be boos on social media. Everyone will be happy to see Gary Bettman and what he's done during this time frame. Now, I thought we had the breaking news when we said Vegas was going to be the the hub city, given they were able to shut down the strip. But 
with Edmonton and Toronto, I know there's a lot of people in the United States thinking why you didn't have one in the United States. Well, the thing was about Toronto was that they were able to really do a good job of, because there's a lot of, ho- I mean, if you've ever been to Toronto, I've been to really any big city, there's a lot of hotels near that rink. It's very crowded around there, but in a good way. And the fact that they're able to really bunker down, you know, people, not allow people in and out of hotels, be able to transport them safely, and especially Edmonton. Edmonton is the either the largest small city you've ever been to or the smallest big city you've ever been to. It's either one or the other with that. And that's why that was a big fit in Western and for the Western conference. So I'm glad we're getting back to the NHL with, I know with a lot of people, there's been obviously going to be a lot of positive tests. I remember for some reason, Austin Matthews, his diagnosis got became public, but he's owned up to it and has done a very good job. There have been, I mean, it's, it's going to happen. Players are going to test positive. It's just going to be making sure that they're able to quarantine themselves, get healthy and make sure they don't affect anything else. So it's, that's going to be the, oh, I agree. Oh, yeah. that's going to be the fuzzy part with everything. It's just making sure like, how are they going to do that? Cause obviously you talked about the MLS. I'm a Toronto FC fan myself. So I was a little bummed when I found out the game had been postponed between them and DC United yesterday, but obviously for good reason. And the thing is the NHL is that they're going to continue to go forward with these playoffs because of the fact that they know that they can, I guess, take the folks that are under the illness and able to move them off to the side, quarantine them, keep them out of the way so they can continue on. Cause this it's, let's be honest. It's an economic thing. It's a money thing. The reason why they're coming back, but it's good that the league is going to come back. The playoffs are going to happen and we're going to have, we're going to somehow get back to normal in the near future where it looked like for a while, we weren't going to be able to do that. Oh, I really agree. And I guess I have some breaking news for you. Toronto FC put out a statement the person who had the inconclusive test tested negative, so they are going to continue on with their games uh, in the MLS's back tournament. So I guess that's some good news for you. There we go. Uh, but I guess speaking of the MLS tournament, they've had two teams, uh, well, one forcefully get pulled out. The other, uh, they've disqualified themselves due to COVID, I guess, some amounts of in, within players in their bubbles. Could we see that with an NHL team possibly happen? Let's say one player or one team managed just to say, all right, uh, screw it, we're going out on the town for one night. And, and they get infected. Would, could we see something similar like the MLS has experienced happen to the NHL? Prob- I mean, it's funny. As of, you think that would happen sooner? Because Nashville SC, I remember when they announced, I was bummed because I was really excited for them because that team, that franchise has really worked its way up to become an MLS franchise. But with the NHL, I remember when both St. Louis and Tampa Bay both got shut down because of COVID outbreaks within the organization. Everyone's like, this is it. This is what's going to be the death nail for the NHL playoffs, but they're going to continue on. I don't know if there's going to be a team that's going to pull out of this. I just feel like everyone's going to go for it. Cause I feel like, cause they would, they really did a really good job. The NHL, both the NHL and the return to play committee, which had both league execs, owners and players, top players in this league, involved to make sure that they're able to come back safely. And with that, I think that's why when the CBA, the recent CBA, the extension was signed, part of it, it involved this playoff, the coronavirus playoff, if you want to call it the COVID cup or what some people are jokingly calling it as. But they, everyone agreed it was 79% vote in favor, not like a close 50-50 vote. This was a unanimous decision to come back. So I don't know if if any team does pull out, if they do, obviously reseeding is going to happen. Someone's going to get a buy, probably the highest seed available. But 
I talked about on the Kula show today how nine players from Pittsburgh's lineup had to be held off the ice just for precautionary reasons. Now, if that hap- that's the reason why you see rosters right now with like 30, 35 players coming to training camp, just so they can have enough people if someone were to get sick or a group of players were to get sick. That's why they have that so they can continue on in these playoffs. Now, in terms of going out in the town, now listen, Toronto and Edmonton, big cities, lots of stuff to do. Been to both of them, both beautiful cities. Here's the thing with that is that the league has set a precedent of if you leave, if someone leaves the bubble, leaves the hotel that they're supposed to stay in, leaves the rink when they're not supposed to, without the league's permission, there will be penalties for not just the player, but the team as well. So there's a precedent set by the league and the league's owners and the teams that if you leave, you're in trouble. They're not going to be any, they're not going to be nice about this. There's going to be draft picks lost for the teams, fines for the players and the teams, suspensions probably as well. I don't know if it's going to go how far the suspensions will go, but there's going to be discipline for anyone who feels like going out for a drink. So that's why I think the NHL has done a really good job. They've covered all their bases. MLS, I just feel like, cause I mean, it's, it's in Florida. That's the hard part for me to understand. It's like, all right, it can just somehow get across a, a wall or something. I mean, it's, it's easy to get it down there. At least it seems like the way the statistics are rising once again for COVID, but the NHL has made sure they talked about it and they looked at everything, every angle possible. That's why they waited so long to confirm Toronto and Edmonton. So I'm glad that what they're doing right now, they're making sure that they can cover all their bases before they move forward with these playoffs. I totally agree with that. They've, They've been setting a precedent. I think the MLS has kind of done that, but I, I feel like they might be a little lacking on that, I guess you could say, part. Uh, but still, you know, a lot to, I guess, you could worry about. A lot can go wrong still, in my opinion. But hopefully oh, got, it all got, goes for the best. We got two weeks before. I mean, geez. I mean, we were. I was three days away from going down to Texas to do an ACHA National Championship broadcast, and then two days later, I was home, stuck inside, and out of a job. <laughs> so that's, that's how um, she goes. Yeah. Mm. All right, let's move away from the NHL, but let's talk about, uh, I guess you can say, college hockey in D1. Uh, let's talk about something that's been a little close to home to me, UAH, of course, uh, you know Peyton, uh, for, of course, the UAH broadcaster. Um, I guess, what are your thoughts on that situation, what happened, and a lot of interesting things that happened during that two-week period? I remember when the news broke. I tweeted out, I said, that's one. Because I felt like, because college hockey doesn't get the same rep as, you know, basketball or football does, especially in Alabama. I mean, you talked about when you're talking about the most popular teams by state, Alabama Crimson Tide. Duh. I mean, Auburn's probably a close second. And with that, obviously, it's tough for some teams to survive. And I thought there'd be some other teams that were going to have some issues. The Alaskan teams, of course, have always been on the market for maybe struggling a little bit to continue onward. But when Alabama Huntsville announced it, I'm like, I guess that makes sense because the WCHA was going to disband after next season. They were going to be out of a conference because they weren't at the time they were trying to get in the CCHA, but it wasn't likely. So when it happened, I was not too surprised. And Peyton Turnage, who I was had a great interview with a couple weeks back, we talked about it and it was like it wasn't inevitable, but it was obviously a bummer because that that team has a lot of it's a pretty big fan base. And I think one people some people don't realize because I myself, I've done games with Harrison Watt up here at Ferris State, is that those are the big teams for those campuses, because Alabama Huntsville being a D2 school, Ferris State, same way, Lake Superior State, all the schools around here, a lot of the schools that have D1 hockey teams are either D2 or D1, but like FCS 
collegiate schools. So they like hockey is their biggest, biggest money draw, if you will. But with Alabama Huntsville, it was a big money loss because it's a lot of travel for that team being one of the farthest away. Obviously, Alaska and Arizona State being the others. So when I heard initially that they were going to try to do a GoFundMe, I'm like, ah, it's a great effort, but I'm like, it's not going to be enough. And then next thing you know, all of a sudden these big names were going in there. And I remember Brian Burke was a team, was a guy you know up in Sportsnet, former general manager of Anaheim and Toronto. He was a guy that came in and, and even donated. I donated myself because I'm like, man, this actually may happen. And and of course, Ken Talbot, former Alabama Huntsville goaltender, he was very adamant about, hey, let's save this program. It helped. It really helped catapult him to being an NHL-worthy goaltender, at least a goaltender worthy of being drafted. So that's why I was really excited to see him. Like, man, just continue to grow. And I remember right before I did my interview with Peyton, I'm like, I remember I messaged him like, hey, do you want to come on the show if this happens? And he said, even if it doesn't happen, he wanted to come on and talk about it. So when it happened, we were we both rejoiced because it's great for collegiate hockey to to keep programs in the game. Because I've done a lot of history myself with college hockey and so many schools, big name schools. University of Illinois used to have a team in NCAA, and they were actually planning on becoming a D1 team here soon. But there are so many schools that have lost teams and gained teams. And that's why, like, losing Alabama Huntsville was the bummer. And I knew it was going to be a tough draw for them just because of their location and such. And the fact that there's not many teams around in the southeast part of the United States, I thought it was they were done for. But, the you know, the community, the fan base rallied around them. And now they have a hockey committee, you know, a funding committee put in place to make sure that they can drive sales, drive ticket sales. And I know that's going to be tough next season, given, you know, the possibilities of not having fans. But... I feel like if the support will stay there for Alabama Huntsville, this team will stay around for a while. And there is this, there is one extra spot open in that new CCHA starting up in 21-22 season. So and I remember I talked with Harrison about it, and he said it's possible, but they got to show that they are worthy enough to stick around. And I think if the fan base continues to pour its heart and their souls into that team, and if the team continues to build and you know maybe to put a couple competitive seasons together – yeah, you're darn right they're going to be around for a while, and I'm really glad because hockey, especially collegiate hockey, needs to grow in the South. I mean, the Southeastern Conference, albeit ACHA club hockey, is some of the best there is right now. And I know Georgia's putting together a $34 million rink, University of Georgia, that is. So they may be in striking distance of a D1 team. So it's good to see the hockey, especially collegiate hockey, growing down there in the South. Yeah, it's a, of course, Alabama Huntsville's a, a weird uh, situation always has been, of course, the years it's been around now, it's kind of getting, I guess you could say it's it's getting brothers and sisters within with new colleges. Of course, Alabama has possibly been a rumor for years they're going to get a D1 with Pelham right by, but still very interesting with that situation. I, I love the take. I, I, I agree that there was a lot of risk with that GoFundMe, but uh, still, I'm glad, of course, it, it, it you know got pulled off. But uh, I guess last question before we, you, you, we get off the phone with you. FPHL, SPHL, that's my main bread and butter. That's why I talk about when there was, of course, SPHL and Fed Hockey to talk about. What, what are your thoughts on that from a guy, of course, in, in Michigan and in that general area of broadcasting and such? You know, it's such an interesting league. I I was in the Fed for a cup of coffee and a shot of espresso, I like to say, because I was at Port Huron for a few weeks and I was with Danville I was actually with Port Huron in their first season, the year they won the Commissioner's Cup, and I was with Danville later on that year for a couple emergency stints. So 
I've been in both of those barns and I've been around and I remember we were, you know, we're playing games and stuff like that. And it's interesting because those, the fan bases there, you know, I mean, obviously sometimes it's tough to get, you know, to draw fans in, in those cities because they are, you know, those are really, you know, hardworking blue collar towns, but the fans there are just so much fun. I remember there was a game in Danville I was at, and I remember we're sitting there and we were having a ball. We were beating up Dayton. This was back when not the demons, but they were the demolition. Now this was the one year they had him and fan was yelling. And I think, uh, I, Oh man, I forgot what he said, but he was, I had, I was backing up and I had tape on the back of my Jersey as a playing goal. Cause it was, it was Matt Cooper, Matt O'Connor, excuse me. Matt O'Connor was the goaltender. No, Matt Cooper, Matt Cooper. I keep Matt O'Connor was the former Boston university goaltender. Matt Cooper is the guy I took the job on. And I had tape on the back of my jersey. We're beating Dayton like 6-1. And some guy in the crowd, probably four rows up, yells at me, hey, Dayton, maybe you should put our backup goaltender in. We don't even know his name, but he's probably better than you guys. And I remember that. And I, I looked over at Coach, and I'm like, I mean, can we do an in-game trade? <laughs> but um, no, I, the Federal Hockey League, I know it gets a bad rap sometimes with people, but it it's, it's pro hockey. And those guys that are playing in it, and I... I was fortunate enough to room with a bunch of great guys when I was around and Dustin Skinner being one, Brian Soskin, um, Barry's kid, uh, Barry, who owns a few of the teams. And a lot of those guys, they were really good to me and they really helped me bring me along. And they really thought I had a shot to stick around, but unfortunately, you know, the SPHL is up there and, you know, there were a couple guys that were sent down and, you know, that's how minor league hockey works. You get kind of, you kind of, if you're not there long enough, you may not be, may not be good enough. It's seniority, you know, first come, you know, last come first to go, but the SPHL, I never got a chance to play. And I went to a couple of tryout camps just to see where I was at. And I, I knew I wasn't going to have a good chance, but you know, Huntsville Havoc is a team that I was, I shot for. And I know actually the coach, I've talked to him a few times and I know a couple of guys that have been down there. Phil Wendecker was there for a brief time after he left Davenport, Davenport, the school that I work for up here in West Michigan. He was there for a little bit, loved the experience. And he, you know, it's, he said it, it's an interesting environment because you're, he's so used to playing in Michigan here in the Midwest where hockey is a little bit, you know, kind of a bigger deal. You go down to Huntsville and those fans, they, I mean, they love going to those games. I mean, that's pro hockey and it's, it's not like it's cheap pro hockey. Either. That's some, there's a lot of guys in the SPHL. I know not many of them made it up to the show, Scott Darling being the only guy, but there've been some guys in the SPHL that are able to work their way up to the ECHL, work their way up to the American League. So, I mean, those guys, I mean, they they work hard. And I actually have been in talks with, uh, I remember I was trying to, you know, talk to some teams, see who, see what was out there for broadcasting. And obviously, you know, it's a weird time right now, but I, you know, having teams in markets like Evansville and Quad City, former ECHL markets, that's pretty big because then you can have, you know, you have a, sub, a set pro hockey fan base there and and the fans there know they understand it's not ECHL it's not going to be the it's not going to be the same but the fact there's pro hockey there the support's there you know it's just you know it, it comes down to money you know dollars and cents with those teams but you know it's good to see the quad city storm there I know a couple guys Cody Walsh in particular he plays there he played at Davenport as well and Evansville there you know they have a pretty good rink down there and I know Columbus had to move down to the federal league but you know they're still one of the most profitable teams in the FPHL now and it's good to see that the fact that, you know, some markets are getting that kind of support, especially in the South and, you know, Pensacola, I know, I think I saw, you can probably correct me on this rando. They're trying to get, 
you know, rink renovations down there. So they're trying to grow, which is always good. And, you know, they got Louisiana and stuff like that. So the SPHL, I know everyone's like, oh, it's... Uh, I, I'm afraid that Louisiana is kind of dead. Sorry to break the news. They've been dead for a couple of years. I, well, I had a, sorry, I was thinking of a couple guys because we had some guys that went up and down between Port Huron and Louisiana when I played. And they said it, they said it was an interesting. Um, it's interesting because cause you play in an arena that you're, isn't really your home rink, but it's, it was just the fact that you're playing pro hockey. It's, it's, it was fun. They, they loved it, but yeah, sorry about that. I totally forgot that Louisiana didn't have a team. That's how long I've been out. <laughs> yeah. of, I always knew who oh, was in the no league. Problem. It's always knew how I was in the league because, or how, when I was trying out and for teams and stuff like that, cause I would always say, I'm like, all right, Louisiana, they need a goaltender, right? Nope. Um, but the SPHL it's, I mean, yes, it's not going to be your NHL caliber hockey, but it's still professional hockey. It's fun to watch. It's great, great entertainment. As a broadcaster yourself, I mean, it, I mean, I know they have you know the Sinbin News is always great. Bus League Hockey gives great coverage for those leagues. I, you know, people give them a bad rap just because how low they are, but I mean, it's fun to watch. I mean, yeah, granted, you may have some, you may have some stories that come out, but for the most part. Guys love it. Players love it. They they're they're living the dream. They're playing pro hockey, and for them, that's all you need. And for me, when I was there, that's all I wanted. I wanted to play pro hockey. I didn't care who it was, if I was going to play or if I was just going to sit on the bench and chirp guys from Dayton that I'll probably never see again. That's what we, that's what we loved, and that's why I think you know people should take those leagues. I think a little more seriously. Oh, I have to really comes to taking the leagues more seriously. There's a there's talent there. People forget that there's talent in those leagues. And when you mention stories, I got to experience one of those stories. You probably, I, I know we're running over time. I'm sorry to keep you on the phone. No, but my, I, I got a little long, you, long-winded you, myself. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's okay. But uh, I guess, I guess, I guess we, you, you have heard, I, I'm trying to board this in a good way. So I don't get yelled at by other people, but uh, of course, I, I guess you've heard the story about the person of throwing the puck in a bench that I got to witness that with my own eyes. That was a night. I mean, yeah, you, you have events happen, but the SBHL and the Fed, I, of course, I'm defending the Fed when they had their big uh, brawl just, but man, it's, that's three months ago now. It's still kind of weird. It's so fresh, but uh, yeah, they're great leagues. And I, I don't know. I don't get the hate sometimes. I feel like some people just think, oh, it's single like hockey. Uh, I'd throw it away. It's trash, but I, there's, there's gold in there. It, 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 there's a lot of gold in it. Yeah, I feel like it's ignored a lot. Well, Tyler, thank you for coming on the show. Where can people find you? And where can people listen to you here on, of course, the 12 on Sports Radio, you can say now. Well, they can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, all at The Kuehl Show, K-U-E-H-L Show. Follow us all on there. Of course, 12 Ounce Sports Radio. You can find us across all of their networks along with our own YouTube channel. And we also can catch our audio, our podcast as well, which is pretty much just the audio recording from our The Cool Show that we do Monday nights at 6 o'clock here on 12 Ounce Sports. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio somehow still, and iHeart and Spotify as well. We're across all your favorite platforms. Make sure you tune in for all your great hockey talk. I know it's not quite the Fed and the SPHL, but we still talk some good NHL there as well. We'll throw in some college from here to time to time as well. Gotta appease the masses. Tyler, thank you for coming onto the show. And everyone else, we'll be back in five minutes. We're going to talk, of course, about MLS is back. We're going to talk about the Washington name change and a little more. Again, five minutes. We'll be right back.